course, the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll Hello and welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. Good Thursday to you all. Yeah. And there's Mayor Pete just like laying it out. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you want people to suffer. Yeah, we've said. If you it, want them um, to do what we want them to do, we got to make them suffer. Yeah, the pain is the point. We've said that for a while on the Variety program. And I mean, they tell us every day. <laughs> they <laughs> do. Well, they demonstrate it in Technicolor every day, too. Of course, yeah. the more homes in a South Bend black neighborhood <laughs> that you tear down, that. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Mayor Pete comes up, smash hits that button. Nobody, yeah. nobody yeah. tore down more homes in black neighborhoods than Mayor Pete. <laughs> yeah. Well, facts are facts, and that w- that's what we live by here in the Variety program. Uh, we've got a big one for you today, uh, an extra interview for you, because we've got two incredible guests. We've talked a lot about the red wave cometh. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that you get a red wave, I mean, you've talked about this smug, but you got to work hard to do it. You also need quality candidates. That's right. And I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever been more impressed at the quality of House Republican candidates than I have been this year. We've talked to an enormous number on this program. That's right. Today we have Cassie Garcia from Texas and Zach Nunn from Iowa. And you may not know their names. You're going to soon because I can assure you of two things. One is that they're going to be elected. But two they're going to be superstars. Yeah. Like these people were so impressive. I mean, so Cassie is a part of that South Texas wave of Hispanic women who are running and winning for the first time in districts that have voted Republican or voted Democrat rather for a hundred plus years. Mm -hmm. Right. And she is now up against Henry Cuellar in, uh, in, in South Texas. And, you know, by any measure is holding her own. It's probably going to win this race. She would be the third, uh, Latina candidate on the Republican side. She knows her stuff. And she is so smart. Whip smart. Yeah. Oh, man, she's good. And then we got Zach Nunn in here, who's just Iowa through and through, but he's got an incredible military background, Air Force guy, who knows a thing or two about a thing or two. As with most of our vet guests, uh, the Afghanistan situation motivated him more than anything to run for Congress. He's going to come in and tell us his story, too. I'm really excited about both those interviews. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear from candidates who you have full confidence in uh, their abilities. We really are sending our best. Yeah, I totally. Mean, this, I mean, it's it's we've got a great wave going, but as Smug points out all the time, it's you can't just let the wave happen and expect we're going to win. You have to fight. You have to, you have to hit the doors. You have to hit the phones. And you have to have good candidates. And these are both very, very good candidates. Totally. And it, especially, you know, you, you look at, uh, you'd mentioned this like wave of Latino candidates that are out there as Republicans. They're winning. They're taking these districts that have been historically Democrat. Uh, Quinnipiac just had a poll that Joe Biden's approval rating among Hispanics is just 19%. Yo. Oh, no. <laughs> That's 51 points underwater. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, you can see it. it all makes sense. It's all kind of coming together. And you've got people, really smart people from Hispanic communities who have lived that life, right? And also have a public service-minded component to why they're doing this, right? They're not running to be famous. They're not running to go sell books. 
they're running to make a difference in their community. You just see it happening. Yeah. You know, it's really, really impressive. Uh, so we got that and a whole bunch more of fun, a bunch of fun stories coming out. How about we, at first, we would be remiss if we didn't give you an opportunity, Smug, talk a little bit about Tuesday night and what we saw in Maryland. Yeah, so uh, for our longtime listeners, you, of course, know, friend of the program, personal friend, great guy, Matthew Foldy, was running in, in uh, Maryland 6th Congressional District. Sadly, he did not get the win in that primary, but I cannot say how proud I am of the amount of work that he put in to that race, how the, the energetic base of support that he built. So this was a 100-day campaign. Yeah. He had 100 days to go from zero name ID to finishing second in a five-way primary, you know, and, and getting, like, as many votes as the next In a competitive district. Very competitive district. Yeah. And running against uh, uh, the incumbent, or uh, running against David, or Neil Parrott, Neil Parrott in the primary, who is currently an elected official and has run for that congressional seat before. So, like, it's already, you know, a huge a high, uphill he battle. Had a high, uh, like, a lot of, lot of road to climb to get into it in the first place. He worked his tail off. And though. he worked his tail off. He finished second. He did an outstanding job. Uh, you know, we're all proud of him. The work that he put in, I'm telling you, was so impressive. And also the work that was put in by the volunteers. You know, the, the, the I can't stress enough how much he energized a group of younger Republicans to get involved. Like we always say, the red wave is something that we're doing, not something that's happening. And especially the minions putting up so many phone calls. Like... 10,000 calls a day. These are like unprecedented numbers. Like you're a, a solid victory center. If you're on all cylinders, is in like $7,000 a day. And these people are putting up 10,000 calls a day while he's out there knocking doors from, from sun up to sundown. So outstanding work hats off to him. And you know, he's still 25 year old. He's got a lot of time. Oh yeah. I'm guessing it's not the last time. No, no, I'm guessing we, we hear from him Absolutely. probably in short order. And uh, and again, hats off to you, Smug, and, and the minions who contributed to all of that. I know there was a lot of hard work to put in, probably a little disappointed yesterday. But uh, disappointment, no. we got a new battles on the horizon, and we got to use that energy and channel it all into making sure that we get that red wave accomplished in November. That's right. The, the one thing that, like, there's nothing that the media and the Dems would want more than for us to be disheartened, depressed— throwing the towel this this fight's going to happen every day and it's going to be every one of us getting involved and making sure this red wave happens yeah no question about it um so i noticed smog you put this thing in our in our document uh this pod save situation that's right and so you, you know, this is something you want to talk about yes it is absolutely something i want to talk about so uh i it was made uh uh someone brought up the other night to me that hey did you guys know you were mentioned on Pod Save America? And I was like, what? So for folks who don't know, and you probably don't, Pod Save America is this ridiculous left-wing podcast that's put together by a bunch of Obama bros. They were like uh, speech writers for, yeah. for President Obama. As Duncan describes it, it's five white guys taking credit for the first black president. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what the show is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you know... We, we've had a history of them trying to come at us. They steal our content. Like, you know, when we have our, our uh, March tourney, you know, that liberal hack tournament. March badness. They copied it the year after, calling it the March badness. Could only get, like, a 20th as many votes. Because th- their listeners are just, like, you know, these, well, these brain-warm libs. Exactly. They're, they're wine moms. A bunch of wine moms. So, 
on their show, apparently, they have uh, Tim Miller, who is a former Republican, uh, who worked for Huntsman and other uh, rhinos. <laughs> so, you know, you can't be too surprised if this happens. <laughs> he, he starts taking shots. He starts taking shots at the program. He starts taking shots at Holmes. And, you know, it, it, we try to be civil. We're, everybody we work listening, so you know hard. we're very nice people. <laughs> we right? work so hard. We work so hard to be nice. And But if you're going to come at us, we're going to come right back at you. We got to. We got to. But so what What? What, what do these guys say? Well, you, you got a clip? I held a lot of people you talked about in the book in contempt. <laughs> I think the folks that bugged me the most were people like someone you report on named Josh Holmes. <laughs> so that's like Tommy Vitor, who he was the guy who um, he was like a comms dude. Drove the van. He dro- he's the van guy. Van guy. So <laughs> folks might remember uh, his job was driving a van. And then also, didn't he? What was that thing that uh, he, he said like during an interview where he was like, "That was like a year ago, bro." Oh, that was the the Brett Bear interview. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, so, so, uh, so that guy's like, I just hate this guy, Josh Holmes. So he holds me in the highest contempt, which is amazing because I've never held him anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just like that madman thing where he's like, I, I hate you so much. He's like, I don't even think about you. Like, <laughs> I mean, but what a stunning, you know, the funny thing is, is I get these things that come across my transom every once in a while. And it's always this crew, right? It's always, always. either the Obama bros or Tim Miller or the Lincoln Project. Yeah. You know, Who is, they're all basically the same thing at this point they kind of are in like many ways the exact same thing but like they've got this bizarre obsession where i don't know what it is that like i'm not i don't know any of them particularly <laughs> what's well. wild is they're just like we're gonna find this guy we just hate him so much <laughs> it, it, and i guess i mean i guess ostensibly they were there talking about i'm told that tim miller wrote a book of which uh, he wrote about me i don't know if it was like a sentence or whatever but I guess this is what Vitor is asking about. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the context is he's written this book uh, about Donald Trump. And in his mind, you know, the rest of the Republican Party apparatus that should have stopped him and didn't. <laughs> didn't have the principled values of Tim Miller to leave and go work with these fuck faces from Obama <laughs> world. And so, like, one thing that we really should make clear for listeners, because very few people have heard of any of these folks, so... As I mentioned earlier, Tim Miller used to work on some Republican campaigns, uh, got his ass kicked by Trump and like just couldn't hack, handle it. It broke him, as it did for many people. And this is where things get very, very sad and dark for Tim. So he goes on Pod Save America, the, the Obama Bros uh, podcast, and gets a regular segment. And I kid you not, it was called The Cuck Zone. So he allows them <laughs> to call him a cuck, where like he, he, he basically shows up and says, like, this is why Republicans are bad. Yeah. It's a regular segment where they call he's it's a cuck zone. They right? call it so the resident Republican here to shit on Republicans. We call it the cuck zone. And, and he was like, yes, I am resident cuck Tim Miller. And like he allows them to do this to him. But it gets even worse, folks. So he, he, he was working uh, for a company. And one of the projects that they did was like a PR firm, a yeah. PR firm. And yeah. one of the projects that they did was revealed that a bunch of left wing uh, groups, left-wing dark money groups, are funded by George Soros, right? Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And, like, everyone knows this, but, like, Dems instantly were like, wait, you're saying they're funded by George Soros? You can't say that word, George Soros. That's anti-Semitic, right? Which is just <laughs> insane and harebrained, right? It's like you can't pull up an FEC report. That's anti-Semitic. And, 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 and so, like, all these people on Twitter start, like, uh, going at the pod bros, being like, how can you allow Tim Miller, who is anti-Semitic, on your show 
and they fire his ass. They fire his <laughs> they ass. Fire him. The cuck, they fire him. They fire the cuck. And, and then what happens? And he comes crawling back well, like right. Well, so that's that's the <laughs> this great, is the most deranged that, beat up guy. Like, that's that's the great irony of all of this smug, in my opinion, is Tim Miller, who I'm sure fancies himself to be the hero of this story, the principal person who left the Republican Party for all these charlatans who, you know, didn't stop Donald Trump. Right. Right. Then he gets this cuck zone spot at Crooked Media. And they proceed to fire him, <laughs> right? And then he crawls back onto their podcast to hawk his book. It's like about how he's the principled one. For, for, and it's like, man, that is just pathetic. For any folks who ever watched that show Game of Thrones, there was this character, Theon, who gets like, he's captured by another kingdom and they cut his dick off and just beat him up all day and he, he still serves them. That's Tim Miller, dude. That's like what they did to this guy. And he keeps crawling back. They fire his ass. And he comes right back. And he's like, yeah, you guys are great. It's unreal. What's wrong with this guy? That whole segment was just like, uh, uh, like on, on the surface level, I was like, dude, you sound like an idiot. Like your points are ridiculous that you're being made. And then it's just like super dark because like this is kind of like a battered woman who keeps coming back. And like the shit that he was saying, he was like, so like there's a lot of people who on the Republican side who helped Trump, like Elise Stefanik. And I reached out to her and I was like, hey, can I interview for my book? And she's like, she she replies and she's like, I, I, I'm looking at your Twitter feed. There's no way I'm going to talk to you, right? <laughs> right. And so he, what does he do? Well, I mean, normal people would be like, all right, you know, I am going to move on with my life. Not Tim Miller. He gets his hands on her wedding invite, finds out everyone who's invited to her wedding and calls every single one of what them. What a psycho. Jeez. Which is just like the like most what deranged, wild move. To, and, and they just like... Breeze over this because they're like, this is normal behavior. They're like, this is to totally normal, totally normal thing to do there, Tim. Dude, let, let me just tell you, like, it, well, I don't want to go too far into this, but I will say, like, the thread line that you pull from these Republican op operatives mm -hmm. who are now all Democrats, right? They've yeah. become Lincoln Project. Tim and Miller. he said himself, I guess he's not Republican anymore. So like, yeah. he can't even, like, he's not even. A oh, no, he's a, he's a true blue. He's like, <laughs> no. he says he's a true blue Democrat, which, you know, God bless him. But the thread line that you pull through this it what you come back to is the fact that they got into politics in the first place was utterly devoid of any principle whatsoever right it was actually all of the wrong reasons to get into politics in the first place right most of us got into politics because we wanted to make a difference mm -hmm. one way or another right we thought that this would be a better country center right than it is center left we thought that there are certain issues that are better for the culture of america than there than the left Right. We wanted to fight back against progressives and everything else and what they're trying to do to our economy and to our culture and to everything else. And that's why we're in it. But what becomes abundantly clear when you look at all of these people and the reason that Trump broke them was because they had no principle to begin with. That's right. it. And that's, that's it. The, right there. And again, that's the irony. These are the people who are now our moral betters who are going to talk about the principles that we all lack. And they didn't believe a single one in the fucking first place. Right. Yeah. Look at all of the statements they all put out after Roe. It's as clear as day. You can see it. What? Oh, no, no, not, now they're not pro-life anymore. Yeah. You know, all these people saying that, like, Donald Trump. That's an Trump, issue you flip around. Right, you're just going right? to flip around on the issue of life, like one of the most animating, <laughs> basic things that you, you believe morally, and you're going to tell me that you're better than me? Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Get him, Duncan. <laughs> just Get him, unbelievable. Duncan. But it goes to everything, right? I mean, okay, let's say you're a social moderate, and now you're an economic conservative. That's why you're a Republican. All right, so how is it that you're voting for Joe fucking Biden? Right. How is it that you're saying that all the things that were done economically under Donald Trump were shit? Yeah. And that Republicans were shit 
to try to work with Donald Trump to pass. <laughs> to get all the stuff done that we've been talking about for 30 fucking years. Right. It's just, it's absurd. It's because the stuff that's getting done is doesn't concern them. Right. They're not interested in that. What they're interested in is a TV contract. Bingo. What they're interested in is a little, a little coin in the pocket, some notoriety. They like to be famous consultants. I can only assume that the reason that Tim Miller hates me and the rest of them hate me is because I've actually done what they always wanted to and do. And that's the thing. That's, to me, I think you just broke it down perfectly. Folks, for those of you who don't know, Podsafe is based out of Los Angeles. Yeah. These are literally Hollywood liberals. Like, that's what these people are. <laughs> I actually, they're out there. Know, they're getting their, they, they've, one of them had a TV deal. It got canceled after like two episodes. Because it sucks. But I mean, they're still trying. <laughs> they're still trying the Hollywood bullshit. They've got like VC money or whoever backing their company. They're putting out this podcast and they're mad at Republicans. And I think one of the reasons they're mad at you is because like you've gotten people elected. But, but, but there's a difference. There's a difference, Smug, because like it, at least the Obama bro guys climbed the mountain. Right, and they and they got to the top of the mountain. At very yeah. least, they still believe in the right, shit that right, they were selling. Right, right. They're still they're still at least what they were when they got into politics. Yeah, you know, the Tim Millers of the world are just like chameleons that will be whatever it takes to get back to get back on the podcast that fired them. It's, in, I mean, that is just like what is wrong? What went wrong? And, and, and another thing is, whenever he tra- talks about being like principled, he's worked with Weaver for how many years? I remember, you know, oh, the, the, the Weaver man Weaver. shanty, if you don't remember, folks. A very, very dangerous guy, Weaver. Bad hombre. He's been working with him for almost, oh, for over a decade. All through 2020, he was working with this guy, Weaver. <laughs> the bad he knew. The bad hombre line killed oh, He man. knew. Miller knew. And he, he was like, cool with it. Every all, When he's talking about why we did it, I want to know why you did that, dude. But Why did you enable that guy? One thing that's very interesting to me is that at the same time, these elite political consultants who were Republicans are running to the Democrat Party. You have working class people, Hispanics, and others of, of all stripes who are normal who are running toward the Republican Bingo. Party. Yeah, you yeah. Love and to that's see why it. we're going to win. Yeah. You love to see it. That's exactly and, and, what's happening. And, and, uh, yeah, Smug's uh, not done. Smug's uh, not done. <laughs> a, a, you got him wound up like a toy. A little, a He's little, more angry than you are. A, I know. Little, a little tangential, but like th- there was a part in that interview when when uh, Tim tries talking about like his antidote for what would help the Democrat Party or whatever, and he brings up the point of how they need to like try to become the Big Ten Party, which is so absurd because he's sitting with people whose job is basically to push all these left-wing deranged talking points, which are, as Ashbrook mentioned, pushing every demographic in the country towards the Republican Party. And he says, so after the Roe decision, he was like, uh, there was a situation where like Dave Portnoy said that he was against, uh, you know, getting rid of abortion. He wants, you know, abortion to be, you know, unfettered and legal in every possible way. And he was like, so, so, you know, we should embrace that because there's a, a culture, there's, he was like, all these, uh, you know, Trump bros, all these young men, you know, who, who they're not ready to be a dad, so why should they be forced? And it's like, imagine that. Imagine thinking. Imagine responsibility being the enemy. Right. Imagine being like, hey, you got to let these guys be irresponsible. You can't <laughs> expect people to be responsible. It's like Tim Miller, noted conservative. <laughs> oh, it's just Incredible. The, it's a thought formulation. Thank you for actually, the principles, friend. <laughs> it's actually pretty sad. And you can, if you listen to like, and I didn't listen to this interview, but if I've, I've listened to some things that he's done over the years, and it's like this tortured sort of self-examination that he's gone through. I actually feel kind of bad for the dude. Like, things did not work out the way he wanted to, and he's kind of still searching for something. This is a guy that, like, 20 years from now, still going to be searching, you know? That's I, I, I kind of, like, it's why I've not actually done the Tim Miller stomp before. Yeah. Because I feel like 
I just don't. I mean, I I just want to be better than that. I want. Right? I just want I to mean, make sure they know you come for one of us. You come for all of us. You don't want that. You don't want that smoke. Yeah, you know, the rest I, of them. There's a lot more. There's a lot more <laughs> left. I didn't even begin. So like, that's why we hang. Pod out. saves Dave on the stay on the West Coast. Okay, we got, we got the rest of the country. That's covered. why we hang out. Uh, before we get into our animal news, guys, AOC. Did you guys see this shit? This is the most unbelievable thing <laughs> yes. I've seen in a long time. It was so absurd. So AOC and I think Elon Omar yeah. and several others were out doing a protest. Was this in front of the Supreme Court or was it in New York? It was in New this York, is, maybe. This was in front of the Supreme oh, Court. Oh, it was the Supreme Court? Yeah, and, and it's it's in a very specific spot, but go ahead and I'll... I'll oh, okay. Well, you got to provide the color on this. This is just from the New York Post. Far left Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was roundly mocked on social media Tuesday after she put her arms behind her back to imitate being handcuffed following her arrest at a pro-abortion demonstration outside the Supreme Court. If you've seen the video, this is the damnedest thing, right? So it looks like there's cops kind of around her, and she's got her arms behind her back in a classic handcuff she's situation. She's put her wrists together behind her back. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> is like... That is the weakest acting it's just bullshit. Fucking, it's it's so, a protester cosplay. Yeah. So it, it goes even deeper because if you if you read the, through the story, you find out that she wasn't standing in front of the Supreme Court. She wasn't standing in front of the Capitol. She was standing in the middle of the road. And she was the, illegally and you, you protesting. Don't, you don't get arrested for standing and talking in front of the Supreme Court. You're, everybody does that. You know, people it's are doing, blocking the tr- road. She's blocking gets, the traffic, specifically blocking the traffic, so the cops have to right. move her out of the road. In sports, we would call this drawing the charge. This uh-huh. is exactly. Yeah. But then what, what the key to me was is it wasn't just her, it was also Omar. So they come up with this plan ahead of time. Yes, they did. That they're going to force the arrest, but then they're going to make it look right. like they're getting patty wet. And, and here's, the thing, right. is, here's right. the thing is, it's not because she's dumb. I think that's something that should be made very clear. No, it's not. It's not because she's dumb. It's because she knows what happens is. So, so the video that a lot of people saw online is, you see from the back, she's just holding her wrist together. She's not actually handcuffed. And then she like waves her hand and like fist pumps, right? What's the photo that every newspaper, ABC News, NBC, CBS run with? The photo from the front where a cop is standing behind her and her hands are behind her back. And the headline reads, AOC arrested. She knows that the media is a bunch of lying clowns and that she's going to look like I'm Martin Luther King. Yeah, yeah. I'm out here, you know, I'm marching and getting yeah, arrested like, like Martin Luther King. Like and she's just holding her Selma. hands together because of a traffic infraction. She got a $50 ticket. <laughs> she got a $50 ticket. Friends, friends, the Babylon Bee also covered this. <laughs> okay. And they rarely miss. <laughs> they never like? miss. What they never miss. Here's their headline. AOC sits in an invisible police car awaiting transport to an invisible jail. <laughs> and they've got a picture of her with her arms crossed just doing like a s- table sit. <laughs> like pretending to be in the car. Well, it really broke character for these two. The most hilarious part for me is that they're simulating being frog marched by police. And then some of the other protesters start cheering for them. At which point, both of them raise their arms yeah. to greet and like take credit for the whole thing. Yeah, raise clearly fence. showing that they were not handcuffed it, in the it, first place. It, it's the thing is that like the part of their brain that's controlled by Instagram takes over, <laughs> and so they're like, "I gotta do like you know a shot that's gonna look great on Instagram." <laughs> oh, it was an amazing story. I had to get into it. So um, we've been f- following the monkeys lately. Yes, and. <laughs> 
the escalation <laughs> yeah. amongst the monkeys is a bit a real problem. Like Hank activated the monkeys at some point in the last month or month and a half, and now it's gotten another and, level. And see, what I love is is, is longtime listeners a little bit of show lore is so so McDaniel, one of our partners and and who helps put together these episodes. Tried pushing Christmas rat on us. Yeah. For the longest time, we all hate Christmas rat. The that worst. Story worst stuck. story. Yeah. And so he, what he tried to not cover is like monkey stories because he was like, they're most dark. of the time they're dark and sad. <laughs> and so now we will always cover every dark and sad monkey story. Anytime you have a monkey behaving badly <laughs> and things end badly for monkeys or someone else, we will cover it. In this case, this is the worst one I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> this one. Folks, this is the worst monkey this story. This is the worst one ever. <laughs> this is never. The, hold on. Never when we started this podcast did I think we would have multiple monkey stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do. And they never end. Uh, all right. So th- this is from the Daily Star. Cops hunt rogue monkey after 18 people, including a baby, injured in a two-week rampage. Just going ham, dude. <laughs> so how do you say, what kind of monkey is that, uh, Duncan, the Japanese? What is that? Macaque? Macaw? Macaque. Macaque? Yeah. Macaque. <laughs> I've heard macaque. Maybe it's macaque. Maybe it's a different spelling. I, I got so many ways to go with that. I'm just just skip right over it. It's a macaque, ladies and gentlemen. Just have a look at that. Uh, attacked people in the western city with police now setting up traps to try to catch the primate and stop it from targeting any more people. Japanese Japanese police are hunting a wild monkey that has attacked at least eighteen people across uh, in two weeks across the western city. So um, this is just—I mean, think about this: is like you, you, you know you're going about your business, and then you just see police deploying monkey traps. <laughs> <laughs> They're all another over. day in Western Japan. So, so so here's the thing: like, let me cut to the chase because I also saw like a monkey was like tossing kids out the building. <laughs> oh my god! I'm serious. Like this monkey's. They're not taking any shit. I mean, I can only imagine it's probably the revenge from the cartel monkey, this right? This is so wild. Okay, so this is this is highlighted. It says, a four-year-old girl also had her leg scratched by the furry intruder as it let itself into a first-floor apartment. It just rolls up. Before it attacked <laughs> others nearby, while also ventured into a kindergarten classroom and scraped another girl of four's leg. This is like this guy is just out of control. He's attacking schools now. Uh, totally, they go. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is not the first time of reports of monkeys attacking people in Japan. With one famous case from 2002, when a macaque targeted 23 women in the north town of Suwa. I mean, this is clearly a problem. I think it's this pronounced is, macaque. This is, this is this is this is a real problem, and they need to do something about it. I mean, they're they're, they're setting a, the monkey traps. There is a trap. And a, what is a monkey trap? Well, I'll tell you exactly what a monkey trap is. You take you dig the deepest swimming pool you can, <laughs> Olympic size pool. Is this it? And you cover the top with bananas. The monkeys go in for the banana. They can't swim. They drown, and they don't hurt the kids. It's as simple as that. See, I always heard that whole. If it? you ever want a way to euthanize animals, Smash is your man. You <laughs> might he, you might even say he's fantasized about them. <laughs> What, what was it's, it? It's a problem that needs to be solved. Who would have thought that the pro greyhound racing guy on the podcast would have a solution to the problem? Look, if, the, if, the, if the monkeys could do something that you could bet on that could bring enjoyment to somebody other than sitting behind a bar and throw, throw poop at you in the zoo, wasn't, wasn't, I, I'd be willing to entertain it. But these, these monkeys just need to be thrown right into the 
the banana pool. <laughs> 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 Wasn't there some like parable or something where like if you get a jar, you know, you put like candy or something in there, and the monkey will reach in, yeah, but he can't get it out because it makes a, a fistful fist. yeah. of, of candy or whatever. And they don't know to just release the candy. Is they, that true? Like, I wonder yeah. if that's what they're deploying. Well, yeah, it could well, be like be banana jars all over Western Japan. Banana jars. <laughs> That'd be a good Jesus, trap. Jesus, that's a good trap. Uh, in other news, and this one hits another thing that we love is dinosaurs. Yes. So Sotheby's, it's mm-hmm. an auction house. Mm-hmm. And they have amazing stuff at Sotheby's. I've been up there before, by the way. If, you, if you've never been to Sotheby's, New York, make a trip because it is it actually is amazing, the stuff that they have for auction up there. Anyway, they posted on Instagram the other day that there, there's this big picture of a dinosaur. Yeah. Gor- Gorgosaurus. So this yeah. is the, what's wild. Is, so, so I saw this post. You, you sent it to all of us. And it's called a Gorgosaurus, right? And they, they said that they're going to have it on display starting the 21st of July at, at, at their New York location. And, I mean, it looks exactly like a T-Rex. So it you does. can buy a T-Rex skeleton. Like, isn't that what bankrupted uh, Nicolas Cage? Yeah, I think that's right. I'm, it's still worth it, dude. You still want it. A hundred percent. Here's the thing is like, number one. You can always make another movie. You can't find another T-Rex. Bingo. There's only so many to go around. Right. He's, you know, another national treasure and he'll be back on top. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd 100% buy the T-Rex. But you think about like, okay, two things when you buy a T-Rex. Number one, you have to have the money for it. But number two, if you're, it's going to your house, you got to have a house that's big enough for it. So you're clearly just crushing it oh, if yeah. you're able to get it. But imagine you roll up in someone's house, right? Greedy by a T-Rex. Foyer, T-Rex. You're instantly like, this is the Dude, coolest. I would, the guy's like, what's up? I would, <laughs> yeah. I, this is how I would greet my guests. If I had a T-Rex in like a main <laughs> foyer, oh, I would jump off the banister from the second floor and slide down the back of that T-Rex like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Oh, oh hello. Oh, oh like I no greater power in. move. <laughs> You're like in a smoking jacket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like sliding down a banister. It's like, welcome to the coolest place ever. <laughs> it really sets the tone. Well, part so part of the, the sales pitch here is that unlike most dinosaur specimens that have come to market, this giant is yet to be named, meaning the buyer will have naming oh, rights for this right. dino. Uh, if you have the winning bid, what would you name it? That's their, that's their, their post. I mean, are you got any thoughts on that? 100%. Like, 100%. So, so this is claiming it's a Gorgosaurus, right? Yeah, and I guess that's what scientists want to classify it as. I name it Tyrannosaurus Rex, because <laughs> then all these scientists, every textbook or whatever that mentions it, is super confusing. <laughs> the Wikipedia entry is fucked up now. <laughs> brilliant! That is brilliant. That is brilliant. So anyway, starting in July 21 and ending on July 28, you got your chance to buy this thing at Sotheby's. Listen, if one of our listeners buys this thing. We will do a live show. We will do a live show from the T-Rex. From the T-Rex. I can promise you. I can promise you that. Uh, all right. So in other in other news, uh, we've talked a lot about babies on planes. Smug, you hate that. Uh, well, that's why I don't fly Southwest. And I think if you have kids, unless you have good kids that are quiet and know how to fly, you got to go on Southwest. You got to be in the zoo. It's like only a guy who's totally never been a parent, right? The horror the parents have when your kid starts well, to be bad. No, that's the thing is, I remember when we were young, we traveled frequently, you know, when we were on planes, our parents made it clear to us is you're courteous of others. Whenever you're in public, you're courteous of others. You always respect other people 
when you're in public. So like we were never screaming, causing problems. Or you got the switch. Yeah, because there used to be repercussions in this country. <laughs> when we were kids. There was a time, folks may not remember, where parenting was more than throwing an iPad at your kid and saying good luck. <laughs> well, well, now people are trying to stretch out where you can take your kids. This is according to the New York Post. Uh, on a typical Saturday or Sunday at Pig Beach, a beer garden with locations in these two places in New York, the families uh, come early. They line up from 11.15 or 11.30 when the bars open, and they can snag prime tables. Thirsty moms and dads uh, order brewskis for themselves and hot dogs and Rice Krispies for their progeny. Uh, the kids mess around with a cornhole game and uh, colorful chalk. I guess the point is, is that they have bars now where people just leave their kids while they get so shit-faced. This is so ridiculous, and this is, uh, sadly, this is a very New York thing, right? Well, so, we used to call this the backyard, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. People, I still call it the backyard. Yeah. You invite friends over that have kids, you let the kids play in the backyard, you have some beers, that's what you do. So, so that reminds me of a couple of things. So first off, one of the locations is in Gowanus, which is a part of Brooklyn. It tends to be kind of like parent-heavy. You've got your stroller posses roaming around. <laughs> okay. But it's like, dude, you're taking your kid to a bar. Like... <laughs> Come on, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. Like, like, I don't know. Does it have to be explained to you? You don't take kids to a bar. I don't know that I'm above that. What I don't like is if the bar is particularly situated for kids, because then it's like, I don't know. I Listen, mean, if I'm at a bar, there's a TV, there's a football game on, I should be able to scream, I, expletives, you know. You I should put be, pressure on other I, customers. I, I've got my, you know, my, my, my bros are with me. We're getting drunk. We're getting violent and crazy. <laughs> Why would you allow kids in this place? In, in defense in defense of parents, uh, just as one with young kids, like your social options are limited. They are limited. They're limited. So maybe this bar is just saying like people like you shouldn't come. <laughs> That's I, the thing is that like it should be like the social contract should be if you're in a bar, it's it's like no rules. Like, you know, like whatever goes. It, everyone knows this. it's where you go to let it off steam. All they're doing is serving you liquor. Like they're just trying to make you go crazy. Why would you bring kids to a place like this? <laughs> you're, you're, that's, it's the same thing. You're imposing on others. It's like, oh, now I can't scream the F word when, <laughs> when, when the Broncos throw an interception because there's like 10 babies next to me. <laughs> so this guy here, this quote, I've got to read it before we move on because it, it, it concisely states your point. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I don't hang out in their playgrounds, and I don't want them in my bar, said Mike Bermeal, a member of the Facebook group in New York City Craft Beer Club. Oh, come on. Parents, if you think you're cool because you can bring your kids to a brewery or brew pub, you're not. Why stop there? How about a casino or a strip club? Well, don't tempt the libs. <laughs> don't tempt the libs. <laughs> don't tempt the libs. They're like, a, sounds like a great idea. They're like a transsexual parade. <laughs> Terrific. Maybe, maybe I'll get my kids up there. <laughs> Oh, man. So anyway, let's get to a couple of issues here of greater import. One of it is is uh, immigration. Yes. Um, now, we all know that the Biden administration has been loath to do anything about the border, right? They don't secure it. They broke all everything that the Trump administration put into place to try to stem the tide of, of migrants, illegal migrants entering this country. But we also covered how Texas and other states are busing the migrants now into like New York and D.C., Right mm -hmm. now they've got a problem. Right now they've got a problem. So New York City's social safety nets are being strained by the influx of asylum seekers from Latin America, and being bussed in by Arizona, Texas, and the Feds, according to Mayor Adams. So what they, 
I like, I almost can't believe they have the balls. It's pretty audacious. Yeah, I can't believe. So all of these libs who've talked about how there's no border crisis whatsoever. Right. 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 They all have got signs in their front yard that say all are welcome here. They're like, yeah. in this house, we believe yeah. in a uh, dangerous open border. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but all of this is like, fine. All of a sudden, the migrants enter their backyard and it's a crisis. Yeah. Now they got a different opinion. Who would have thought? <laughs> so unbelievable. Like, no, we didn't mean here, friends. Yeah. <laughs> we meant in your red states that we loathe. And Isn't that the classic? In classic. The, they're all now whining about strains on their budget. Didn't the federal government just sp- spend a trillion dollars on states State and local, local governments to be yeah. able to like, I mean, that was just a year ago. So right. that money's gone. Well, it's part of the reason why everything costs 10% more than it did, you know, exactly right. Cause all that money's out the door, but all these people, like they can't, they can't figure out how to spend money correctly, obviously. And now they have a problem with migration. Do you think folks, do you think that the answer for many of these people is going to be to secure the border? No. So, so there's a tweet from um, Bill Malugin who's been just oh, yeah. crushing it. Covering yeah. the border. Absolute just workhorse. He's just down there every... Like, I've heard from folks who work at Fox. They're like, he is all day long just on the border covering it. Like, the stuff that he sees... He sees, like, really horrific stuff yeah. that's not allowed on TV. He knows that, like, the back of his hand. He's, and the thing is, is that unlike other, quote, journalists, he's an actual journalist, and he's reporting the truth of what's going down there. So he has this great tweet that says, now that cities like New York and D.C. are seeing a small sample of what tiny Texas and Arizona border towns deal with daily, perhaps they'll get some perspective on what it was like for Del Rio, Texas, a population of 35,000, to have over 15,000 Haitians arrive in their city at once last September. Oh. The, the, the expectation that libs have of like, well... You people should deal with the ramifications of our policies. We shouldn't is endemic to the liberal problem where they're like, you people who can't afford a Tesla should suffer these high gas prices. That's exactly right. You people who don't agree with our open borders policy, you're the ones who should put up with the problem. Your resources should be strained, not ours. I deserve to be able to go to a bar with my kids in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's the parents' fault. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy wine mom intimation there. No, it's true, man. It's crazy. You know, Bill Malugin isn't the only guy who is very familiar with what's going on down at the border and down in Texas. We talked to somebody today who's an expert on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, our guest uh, is fantastic. She is, uh, listen, this is one of the true rising stars in the Republican Party. You probably haven't met her before. I can't wait for you to meet her now. Cassie Garcia. I want to welcome to the program somebody I'm very excited uh, to meet. I feel like I met you five minutes ago, but I've known you for a long time. Great personality. Here in studio, Cassie Garcia. Welcome. I am so excited to be here with you all this morning. Oh, this is fun, right? Yes. I mean, I'm the- excited. <laughs> this is the highlight of my week, my race. <laughs> it's so good. So you're running for Congress, and you're, you're a part of this revolution that's happening. It started in Texas, but it's really happening absolutely everywhere within the Hispanic community, but basically, I mean, it's across the country. You'd be blind and deaf not to see what's happening. You're in on this. You've been involved in politics for a long time, so you've seen this kind of coming for a while. 
I have. And so, first of all, thank you for having me on. And I'm running in District 28, which is, starts in the Rio Grande Valley, up in the border, Camus Laredo, into San Antonio and Guadalupe County. And we saw Myra Flores' victory in 2034. Yeah. And so I say the red wave is here. Um, the red wave has been here. And so I think people are waking up, especially Hispanics and Democrats are saying the Democrat uh, Party has left the Hispanic community. Yeah. So with Myra Flores' win um, on June 14th, it just electrified and people are so excited. It was a that. big deal. It was huge. Yeah. You know, a district that's been Democrat controlled for over 150 years. Um, <laughs> it's it's absolutely amazing. And so breaking barriers, she's a Mexican-American yeah. uh, to flip the seat. And Democrats are losing their minds right now. Um, and so I'm running in District 28. It's Democrat controlled for over 110 years. They've never had a Republican. They've never had a Hispanic <laughs> conservative ever serve in that seat. So they're losing their minds, too. And you've got AOC coming down to campaign and saying that we're going to turn Texas is blue not in my lifetime we're gonna see texas turn blue <laughs> <laughs> right. seems, it seems like that's a that's a project for national democrats every two years it is it really is it is but as far you know like for the rest of the country it's like stay at it yeah. folks I know. Yeah, well, it's next great. year it's like that uh, that old tom hanks movie money pit yeah, right. <laughs> right? You, got, you got Robert Francis O'Rourke yeah. you know, with a fake Vito oh, yeah. And so yeah. running for his third time, you know, we're gonna send him packing too. Yeah. So he's not going to win. Yeah, no, he certainly is not. <laughs> but you know what's so unique about what you guys are doing is because you're changing the face of conservative Republican politics while you're doing it, right? I mean, you mentioned Maya, who we had in the program, she was terrific. Monica, she was absolutely terrific yourself. I mean, you are just like a bright, shiny ray of, of hope. And I got to imagine that there's just a bunch of enthusiasm within the Hispanic community for voices that are actually representing their point of view for the first time in a long time. Yeah, so I grew up on the border 37 years um, with uh, in a conservative household. I went to church three times a week. Um, my parents were Republicans, and so according to the New York Times, I'm a far-right Latina because I'm <laughs> Contract. I was going to ask you yeah. about that. So, yeah, I'm a far right Latina because I grew up on the border with conservative parents, a Republican, which is I didn't check their box because uh, I'm supposed to be Hispanic and I'm supposed to be a Democrat. Right. So when you talk to Democrats, you know, you talk about the values. And the reason why I'm running for Congress is to defend faith, family, and freedom. Yeah. And so uh, when you talk to these to the voters in, in the community, they're saying, Cassie, those are my values. The Democrat Party has left the Hispanic community. And so when they, when they hear that and door knocking, they said, Cassie, I'm voting for the first time hmm. Republican for you come this November. Um, and it's easy. Look at the policies. Look at the Biden border crisis. Right. You know, what we're seeing play out. Look at inflation. Uh, the baby formula shortage. It's one crisis after another. And, and crime, right? And crime. I mean, which I guess is sort of interconnected to the border issues mm -hmm. too. But I mean, there is no, first of all, they've done nothing right. I mean, they, they, this administration has done nothing right. But the stuff that they've done the worst uniquely hits the Hispanic community. That's right. It does. And so, um, you know, they've done nothing. You know, the Democrats have taken the Hispanic vote for granted. And yeah. in District 28, um, we are 80% Hispanic. We are 40% uh, Catholic. So they're pro-life. And uh, their values are not aligned. So they talk about our values of faith, family, and freedom. You know, um, they, they, Cassie, we're aligned to Republican Party. And the, it's all about educating and talking to them. Right. Um, they've voted Democrat because they're grandpas voted Democrat, their moms voted Democrat their entire life, and they just 
vote Democrat. And so when I go down there and talk to them, talking about real issues that are affecting them every single day, they say, Cassie, I've never had you know a Republican, Hispanic, Latina come to my home and talk to me about our issues and our values. Hmm. And they sit there and they're, they're just blown away. And so what we're going to see, and I've said this, we are going to see a red wave. We are going to uh, take back the House come this November. We're going to fire Nancy Pelosi. And I'm going to send Henry Cuellar packing. Oh, you know, yeah, Henry yeah. Cuellar, you know, he's... He says all the right things, but he's done absolutely nothing to secure our southern border. And the National Border Patrol Council has always endorsed Henry Cuellar every cycle. They didn't endorse him this cycle. They've mm. endorsed me. Yeah, there you go. There we go. There's a big <laughs> change. That's a really big change. Well, look, anybody who's putting Nancy Pelosi in power, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't. You After know, that, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he voted against the border wall system. And that, that you know, agents are out. You ask the agents, what do you need to do your job? That's what we, you know, it's important. They tell you, we need infrastructure. We need personnel. We need technology um and the love of my life uh, he's 27 years uh, law enforcement border patrol agent as well oh that's and awesome so we see firsthand what's happening yeah you've got a day. direct view on that yes and it impacts it affects your family too because you see that the ministry doesn't have their back doing absolutely nothing and they're so quick to point judgment especially with those whipping agents oh, agents that were oh doing their gosh. job right totally you got Jen Psaki, who's, who's quick to say, you know, you got the president, uh, the vice president, who didn't have their back. I mean, what are they? Is, you must have been blown away by that. I mean, we were blown away disgusted. by that, and it wasn't yeah. even, it wasn't even, you know, our backyard. But the idea that these are somehow whips, like, dude, have like two it, seconds of education on what your border patrol is doing before right. you start <laughs> commenting from the presidential podium. Exactly. Like they should have just, they should come down and see firsthand what the horse patrol does. <laughs> You know, uh, we, they got within like 50 miles once. Yeah. You know, that was about it. Uh, yeah. And we had Kamala. She went down to El Paso, but I don't consider going to, a, 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 what do you call it, the tarmac of yeah. the airport? Like, <laughs> going down to the border. So there's much more to that. She like pick up some Tex-Mex and head back to well, DC. Well, that's right. Jill, Jill, Jill Biden got the breakfast tacos. She's figured out the Hispanic community. I got to talk to you about that. Oh, yeah. Let's so talk what, about that. What do you make of, so as Duncan just said, Jill Biden comes down and calls... Hispanic voters unique as breakfast tacos. How'd that go down in the community? So not very well. No, <laughs> I, I do love my breakfast tacos, and so I did make a lot of tacos last week and homemade pico de gallo. So um, my poor honey was like, "Stop making me tacos!" But <laughs> <laughs> Look, on, they're unique. They are unique. So in fact, we are capitalizing on what Jill Biden, Jill Biden said in our district uh, in San Antonio. She said, "We are unique as breakfast tacos." So if you go to nobuenobiden.com, you can purchase your own unique as a taco. T-shirt. <laughs> oh, I love that. No bueno Biden. God, that's great. That's good branding right there. You're going to sell some t-shirts. We are hoping to sell some t-shirts. But, you know, when she makes comments like that and she thinks she's, you know, being mindful, again, you're pandering to the Hispanic community and we don't like it. You know, first of all, she's speaking at a Latinx inclusion. (laughs) I don't even know what Latinx is. Talk to the people on on the ground. I asked my father, I was like, what's Latinx? Like, is that a pronoun? Is that something new? Like, I mean, nobody knows what that next is. And so they're trying to come up with these cute uh, pronouns and terms. But, you know, so we joked um, that it, she was speaking at a Latinx inclusion um, conference. We're like, well, maybe we'll rebrand the border as Southern X. They'll come down and visit the border. Because <laughs> maybe they can identify with Latinx with Southern X. Yeah, if you throw, so. a, throw a pronoun or an X involved, you're certainly going to do better than you've done so far of getting them down there. Yeah, right? yeah, they haven't been down there. And so it's more, you know, 
to see firsthand what's happening, the amount of people that are coming across. And in the Hispanic community, we support a strong and secure border. We support legal immigration, not illegal immigration. So when we're seeing people that are coming, obviously they're saying economic reasons. Uh, we need to streamline the process. We need to fix our, our immigration process. People come here the legal way to live. You know, if they want the American dream, like we did. You know, I'm third generation, and uh, it's not fair to the communities and people that are coming the legal way to see people coming every single day and we're just processing and releasing and now you've you're yeah. here in washington uh the dc mayor is upset because they're coming here well, how about the communities in south texas right that are being they don't impacted? care they don't care they get released and they're walking around the streets trying to figure out how to get th- to their next destination it's also the grand progressive misconception about i guess it's that you know they see everybody within a, a silo of their own sort of racial makeup or gender makeup or whatever but the grand misconception is that somehow the Hispanic community is totally down with open borders. They're not. Which is, and it's never been the case, never, right? Never, never. Um, it's not like this new development. It's not. You know, we've we've seen influxes. We had the unaccompanied minors in 2014. We've seen influx in 2017, 2019. And when President Trump came in, uh, he put policies in place or made a Mexico policy. And he was tough on Mexico. He was tough on the president. And uh, we saw the lowest numbers of illegal immigration. Now you look, day one, President Biden came comes in what does he do he broke it he broke executive order we're halting border wall construction we're gonna reinstate catch and release and that's what we're seeing um and so you know the administration says the border is closed the border is not closed it is wide open talk about the gotaways talk about the people that we're not catching mm-hmm. um the amount of children that are being molested uh, you know, talk about the inhumane mm-hmm. of 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 human smuggling that we're seeing look at the 53 migrants that died in a tractor trip but we've seen that every single day right so maybe not and, to that, and that's that extent what, but that's what encouraging it. weak border po- policies does right i mean you know you live there your love of your life is is actually working on this problem like it, it, there's it somehow progressives think that if they can just sort of like ignore the problem and pretend like oh everybody's welcome that it doesn't actually create these problems of terrible sexual assaults, human trafficking. Right, they think they're being compassionate. They think that that's somehow and in compassionate. fact, they're driving the humanitarian crisis that is ruining people's lives. Totally. It's incredible. I mean, it's actually them. Right. <laughs> they're the, they're right. the hot dog suit guy. But they, don't, <laughs> right. but they don't notice a single thing until it comes to their doorstep in Washington, D.C. Right. Right? And so, for them, it's all sunshine and rainbows. We're the compassionate. We're the liberals. We want everybody in here because we're welcoming people. And meanwhile, they're driving all of these negative externalities that come from the border, like you were saying. I, I think if we're actually going to fix it, it's going to come from folks like you making the Congress. Yeah, right. We, I really we, do. We absolutely care so much of the border, you know, and people are saying, oh, it's, it's, it's not. You have the Democrats, the House Democrats saying it's not chaos. The border's secure. Excuse me. <laughs> He's the same. Yeah. same people. <laughs> yeah. So this is why we're gonna we're gonna they're they're not gonna be elected. We're gonna send them packing. We're gonna fire Nancy Pelosi, take away that gavel from her. And uh, you know, people are talking about you know two G gas and groceries. You know, yeah, uh, they're paying so much for gas right now. We talk about the groceries. I talk to mothers every day, um, tell me, Cassie, I have to decide whether to put uh, gas in my car or buy eggs and milk for my children. 
why are they having to make these tough decisions right now? And you got Kamala Harris says, oh, we've got more money in our pockets. And then they're blaming inflation on Republicans on having a strategy. Which is wild. It's it's crazy, right? It's a spending yeah. bill, the infrastructure bill, the new green energy. I'm sorry, but people in District 28 or in our communities <laughs> cannot afford a electric vehicle. And we don't even have electric vehicle set up, you know, for yeah. <laughs> charging, for station. charging yeah. stations. We do not have charging stations. Like even if you so, had one, it would, it would still be problematic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're focused on real issues that are impacting uh, the community. Well, I, I love that. I mean, look, that's what that's what Maya said, right? When she first day on Capitol Hill, they're like, why aren't you engaged in the Jan 6 debate? She's like, yeah. my constituents don't care about they're that. They're not I mean, focused. You know, it was a sad day, what we saw on January 6th, but we're not, you know, the Democrats spent $200,000 on an ad on January 6th in the Rogan Valley to say, to paint the picture that Myra was involved with that. People are not talking about, people are talking about how to put food on their table. Right. People are trying to figure out how to make ends meet right now. Totally. Um, we're trying to get people back to work. And with the lockdowns, that we had so many mom and pop shops that closed down and our small businesses are the backbone of our economy. And so with the administration's doing nothing to, you know, for, we talk about prosperity. We talk about education, you know? Yeah. And uh, Democrats have done absolutely nothing. And that's why it's so important to talk about these real issues. I think Democrats have taken uh, uh, the voters for granted totally. for so long. And now we're talking about the issues. And I want to do town halls. I want to be embedded with the community and say, what are your issues? Let's talk about that. Let's get this fixed. And we talk representation. about representation. How about yeah, that, fellas? That sounds right? pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to get down there. And, you know, I worked for a member for, for eight years. And so I know, you know, you know, talking to, you know, uh, to talk about education and law enforcement. You know, I want people to know that I'm going to work for everybody, for the ranchers, the landowners, the moms, the dads, the children, our law enforcement. You know, I, I back the blue. You know, we got to support our men and women in green that are on the forefront of securing our homeland. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You know, I talk about having a strong economy. We need to have a strong and secure border. Well, this is uh, so this <laughs> is what's really interesting about you, because I think most people who run for Congress for the first time, they're sort of figuring it out as they yeah. go. Not you. Right. You worked for Ted Cruz. You were deputy state director for a number of years. Uh, you worked in the Trump administration. Did. <laughs> um, you know this stuff. And then you combine that with what you're doing and what you're seeing and what you're hearing at home. And you actually have solutions to this, these things, which makes for a hell of a candidate. Right. I mean, go figure. You should know what you're talking about. But you actually do. Yeah, so one of the first things we could do, we could, people are like, oh, what what solution? We gotta enforce the laws in the books. And the president, it stops with the president, you know? And when you talk to the Border Patrol agents, they'll tell you, we miss our commander in chief. We miss President Trump. He had our back. You know, I remember seeing agents' faces, they were when we went back when he was in office, um, when he was our president, and talking to the Border Patrol agents at their midnight muster before they did their midnight shift, uh, they felt, they were excited to do their job. They mm -hmm. knew that uh, people were gonna get uh, apprehended and they're going to get sent back to the home country. And now with this administration, it's just, you know, come into this country, uh, get processed. And they're the not, bad guys. Yeah, yeah. and now yeah. they just get released into our country. Now they're ending up in Washington, D.C. They're ending up in Chicago. They're ending up in Miami. And now you've got the mayor, like I said earlier, upset, wow. up in arms. But what about all the, you know, uh, you know, other communities in Texas that are being yeah. impacted by this? It's really so. wild. So tell me this, because you've had already an incredible career in politics. And I know, look, look, you're going to get elected. You're going to be a great member of Congress. I'm absolutely certain of that. 
what I'm more curious about is have you always been political or did you, is this just sort of built over time as you've grown into an adult and developed a professional career? So I actually wanted to be a meteorologist. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have made a whale of a meteorologist. There's no question. I, I studied journalism and I, um, I'm actually scared of thunderstorms, so that was <laughs> <laughs> still to this day, I'm scared of lightning. <laughs> that is, that's a tough hand of cards for a meteorologist. This is like a, a like a pilot that's scared to fly. <laughs> that's why I'm not. I'm out of weather, girl. So. <laughs> she was right on the cusp yeah. until they sent her outside. <laughs> yeah, my internship didn't last very long. So. <laughs> I can't imagine Cassie them tethering you to the pole outside in the middle of a hurricane. I'm yeah. not sure that would have worked. Yeah. I'm just yeah didn't cut out for me but I've 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 got 17 years I've served in public service whether it be city government I worked for an agriculture commissioner for five years uh, doing economic development for the state Hmm. Um, and and then uh, blessed to work for Senator Cruz for eight years eyes and ears on the ground as his regional director and then got promoted in 2017 and then served as a presidential appointee under Donald J. Trump as a his uh, White House Hispanic commissioner and we focus on school choice and opportunity zones I mean that's great to do that but this is what I mean is like you've got such an incredible resume everything about what you've done to this point has sort of over prepared you for what you're doing like did you just sit your parents just sit around and talk politics when you were growing up or you like found this path on on your own my mom was you know uh, she's like you're graduating from college you're going to college I don't care what you do you're going to go to college you're going to you're going to live the American dream and you're going to go to work and so I you know I started working with city government my mom's it's it's you know the ethics that my mom instilled in me and my dad like you got to work hard and so I've worked hard my whole entire life I've always had a job uh, since I was 16 years old my first job was making pizzas at Peter Piper Pizza yeah Uh, yeah, I remember Peter Piper (laughs) absolutely yeah Peter Piper was my first job and um you know, I, like I said, I've worked hard my whole entire life. So stepping down, praying about this opportunity to run for Congress, because I'm so frustrated to see what Democrats are doing. They're destroying our country. Yeah. And it makes me upset. And I said, you know what? Talk to Senator Cruz. I'm jumping in this fight. So I resigned December 6th, filed December 13th. I said, I'm doing this for you, Texas. It's I'm awesome. running for Congress. And everyone said, you're running against Henry Quare? I'm like, well, no, I'm running uh, to for the Republican you know, nomination. And uh, I can't believe that I'm here today. I cannot believe I'm here in front of y'all talking about this, the shift in dynamics and politics. Totally. The, the fact that we can flip three seats come this November is insane. Oh, t- totally. And it's making history. And uh, never thought in South Texas. We've, we saw it turn purple in 2016. We've seen the County, my district, flip red for the first time in 2020. And you're seeing the shift. And it's, you know, it's talking to the voters. And it, you got the RNC centers that are invested in Hispanic community yeah. centers in Laredo, McGowan, San Antonio, and talking to the voters. And so engaging with them. And that's what we're seeing. I've had, I'm, I'm meeting a ton of new folks. Um, every day we're talking and you know they voted Democrat their whole entire life and they're voting Republican it's just amazing I'm sure it's scary it's it's scaring quite oh right man now, I'm so. sure they're <laughs> terrified let me ask you this so do you think that this is just sort of a, a kind of a tinderbox that's just been waiting to be lit for a long time and now with the investment of national parties with with the candidates like yourself and the women we've been talking about, like, do you think that that has just lit the fire? Or is this something that's sort of like just at a perfect time now is a, a total realignment that's happening? You know, 
the, the resources from the NRCC, the Texas GOP, the GOP, you know, that are coming in and saying, you know what, Cass, they've done polling. They, yeah. They're seeing the shift. The fact that we went from a D plus five and now we're a D plus three and now we're a toss up. Yeah. And so we can, it's a flippable, winnable district, um, having the right people to run for office, the right candidates that, that understand the issues. Totally. Um, and that can relate to to the people and so that's what we're doing every single day and talking about issues 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 and you go in there and they're saying i you know i can't do this and so i can't vote democrat and why and you know cassie why are you republican so we talk about you know i'm pro god pro family pro country yeah Um, i love this country i really do and it's given me such great opportunities to run for congress and Mm -hmm. i'm living the american dream and i want everybody to live the american dream and i see every day what's happening you know um the administration gets excited because we're seeing 30 cents less cheaper in gas. We're still paying 385 for gas. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I want to I want to pay 178 where we were paying under the uh, under the Trump administration. Totally. You know, we were energy independent. More and now we're going to Saudi Arabia. We can drill. Let's drill in Texas. You know, we're yeah. energy independent in Texas, and so um, the Eagle Fort shells in my district. And so we talk about the war on the oil and gas industry. It's in my district too, and so. We talk about all these issues, and I think people are resonating. They're connecting. They're excited. The enthusiasm to embrace the Republican Party is there. It's alive and well. Yeah. And the investment, you know, be able to have commercials that go out so people can say, say, who is Cassie Garcia? Why should I vote for her? Mm-hmm. And so we're so excited about it. I, you know, it's it's a perfect storm, but it's, it was the right storm. Mm-hmm. And to have three candidates: Myra Flores, Monica Dela Cruz, and now myself uh, running down in the Rio Grande Valley, where we can actually flip three. Seats and it's make an history. amazing story. I can't Probably. wait to, to to flip the seat, get sworn in, and then have a real debate on 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 securing the border with AOC. Totally. You know? Oh man, I, I'm, I'm waiting for that. Like her, you know, the picture <laughs> images. You know, I mean, you are the progressive <laughs> left's worst nightmare. I'm a far I mean, right Latina. Can you? you know, far <laughs> right Latina. Oh Don't man, mess with me, so. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, that would be a real problem. We'd pay per view that here on Ruthless, no question about it. So I got three big questions. Okay. for you um and you've listened before so you know what's coming yeah. but uh the first one is if you can prepare for your last meal on earth oh yeah what would it be it would be a breakfast taco it'd be yes. Egg, yes. Cheese, and chorizo yes. i went out with some salsa verde so i love being <laughs> back to the breakfast taco do you have yeah. do you have like a favorite stop for breakfast tacos i do you do stripes it's a gas station stripes yeah yeah so. okay that's yeah. nice all right yeah. well if we you're got... ever down there i was gonna bring some for y'all but it, it would have been horribly like you don't want to put that in your luggage. Yeah. That's it would have been confiscated. <laughs> you, know, you can't really not like a breakfast taco. You can't. I mean, I remember you know living in Austin, uh, just getting the taco deli uh, tacos that you, you sell them at like a like a co- coffee stand or anything. Just the most simple breakfast taco, like really picks up your whole morning, and it's a great hangover cure. Oh, totally. I mean, look at that Arizona super, State. Yeah. I I went through my fair share of breakfast tacos. It was it's it's fantastic. Well, just you know, down in, in South Texas, we have it's called Taco Belenque. And it's open 365, seven days a week. So on Christmas Day, when like things are shut down, you can always get your your, if your you need, tacos. If you need a couple Blanket. minutes away from yes. the family, you can still get a breakfast taco. No. Yes, I yes. love that. Okay, all right. So you've been in public service for a long time. Um, you're new to the candidacy thing, but I guess my question is: if you never got into public service at all, right? You never worked for Senator Cruz, never worked in the Trump administration. You've got this sort of blue sky amount of time like you said you know 15 years plus or whatever uh you can fill it with anything what would it be 
I'd be a cruise director. Yeah, yes. Ship, you know? Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you need to unpack that a little. <laughs> you got to unpack that a little. Because I'm sort of skeptical about the cruise ship in general. Okay, so I went on my first cruise two years ago, and I'm thinking, why have I never gone on a cruise ship before? And so it's so much fun. You know, you get to stop at all these different ports. Yeah. You can eat all day, every day. You know, you've got the burgers, you got pizza, you've got a piano, and it's just so much activity going on. I love that. <laughs> I do love the idea of, of eating while killing time traveling between yeah. destinations. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a nice thing. It's like, oh I'm full. Oh wait, now oh wow, that's beautiful. I'm gonna get right. pizza. Yeah. yeah. Or you can go get some shrimp and then, you know, if you want to go disconnect from the world, you can disconnect from the world. And so actually after my um primary one one, I took a week off and I went on a cruise ship. So You did? I did, I disconnected. So from you're the world. actually a big cruise ship I person. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. So a cruise director, they have fun, they get people excited, you know. <laughs> yes. Um they do contests and it's just yeah. It's a good answer. I don't know, yes. No, it's a good. It's a good answer. That's good. We have not had that one. Can that you, is. A, can you, you tell I'm thinking about November 10th already? After yeah. <laughs> that answer was unique as breakfast tacos. Right? Tell you that much. Um, all right. So you know the thrill of victory, agony, of defeat thing is coming, right? Yeah. And you know you understand how we explain it with the thrill of victory, the sunny optimist charging up the hill, agony, and defeat, everything that they've ever accomplished in life, like kind of pales in comparison to every setback, and that's what motivates them. Where do you find yourself? Cruise to victory. Yeah. I am so excited. You have no idea. What gets me fired up every single day is uh, being on the campaign trail and talking to people. And they motivate me. Their stories. And you got people that are emotional and crying. And just, you know, they're, they feel like there's hope. A new mm-hmm. voice in Washington is going to be able to represent them. So the thrill of victory is there. I can feel it. And yeah, you seem like a, yeah. a, you're yeah. a dictionary definition of a thrill of vic- victory. Well, you got to be a, the thrill of victory person if you want to be a cruise director. On, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that agony defeat person would be an awful cruise. Director. Real tough, real tough. You look. should take the show on a cruise. <laughs> My problem is I'm afraid. Like I think that the 17 day that CNN covered that boat oh, that was adrift in the yes. Gulf. I think that forever scarred me. It, 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 yes. Like the idea of just being stuck it's in like a poop boat. Kink, kink it off. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like they have to come like helicopter you off. <laughs> and there's, you off. Yeah. Ah, I, I'll get over it. You could do like a four day cruise. Like okay. Just like yeah. Three nights and four, just the four days. Maybe yeah. just dip just a toe dip, in. And, yeah. yeah. We'll just work on your swimming skills just in yeah. case. <laughs> oh, my swimming isn't great, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can't save a life or anything. So. I love that. So Cassie, where do people find you? How can they help you? So if people want to volunteer or donate to our campaign, we're asking everybody to go to CassieForCongress.com. Um, and so people are like, I don't live in Texas, but how can I support you? Every single dollar will help our campaign for victory, you know, to build our grassroots, to get our message across. And that's it's so important. So we are excited. We're asking for people to pray for us as well as we are continuing. We've got 110 days Yeah, left. it's coming up. And so it's, it's just around the corner for us. So we're excited. I'm excited to be with you all today. I'm excited to talk to uh, to everybody about this amazing race a real opportunity to flip the seat and we're going I to got make a feeling, history I got can a we feeling, talk about this like in a couple months be like look what we done ah uh, <laughs> totally I got a feeling the minions are going to fall in love with you too this is this is a, a candidacy that is inspiring in a lot of ways but it's also like super important for a majority Super important for the for the future of the party. It is to send we, messages like it this. It is, and the fact that we have an opportunity to to take back the house, you know, and hopefully we can take back the Senate. Yeah. We can fire Nancy Pelosi, and look what's going to happen in twenty twenty four. We're going to take back the White House. So I love it. I think people are excited. They're motivated. Um, we are we're. 
I can't wait to see the numbers to come out in November, the yeah. amount of people. We're going to energize the voters to come out and vote. We're going to inspire them. And we're just excited. We can feel that that flame. And That's so, perfect. Excited. We're just excited. <laughs> Cassie Garcia, thank you so much for coming in and thank thanks for joining. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be with you today. So, I mean, look, the, the one thing about Cassie is that she is a bright ray of sunshine. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who has such an optimistic view of her community, how they can help, how they're going to be a part of the solution for not only border security and everything else, but like literally everything that ails America. Well, she knows the district and she knows the issues like the back of her hand. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever met a, a, somebody who's run a state as a state director in any state for a Senate office, they know those states. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. <clears throat> so smart. So smart. Um, all right. So we've got a couple of other issues we got to hit here. <laughs> Uh, the first one, we ha- you remember we had Banks on? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So Banks on Tuesday was talking about a whole range of things. One thing that I didn't get a chance to, to ask him about that I wanted to was he'd introduced this bill. The congressional Republicans want to mandate that any mo- immigrant who applies to the, for a U.S. visa mm-hmm. disclose ties that they might have a, to Iran or terror affiliates. Mm-hmm. This is according to the Free Beacon. Uh, this doesn't seem like a very controversial idea to me. You would think. You, I mean, would, you would think it wouldn't be something that would need to be requested, that this would be sort of standard procedure. What I meant to ask him was like, where's the, where do you run up against opposition? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Like, at what point is somebody like, hmm, can't do that? Yeah, it should be like a Mother's Day resolution. Right? <laughs> no, it's not happening. Right? I mean, so, so he's, they're trying to get this thing done. I think this is the kind of thing that you have when you get a Republican majority, right? Yep. Yeah. Like a no-brainer kind of first day thing. But I'm looking at this right now. It says the Biden administration made several changes to federal immigration laws late last month that allow individuals who provided, quote, humanitarian assistance or, quote, routine commercial transactions to designate terror groups to obtain residence in the United States. What? Huh? Routine commercial (laughs) transaction. I mean, sometimes you're like buying a bomb. Plutonium. (laughs) It's like, listen, I just had routine commercial transactions with designate terror groups. I just need a safe place to stay in America. (laughs) Preferably low. Key, something out of the way. Something near a military yeah. base. Yeah, you're like, like, like some crucial infrastructure, maybe a dam. Something with a flight simulator might be nice. <laughs> like, it's just Holy. so wild. And, and shout out for Jim, to Jim Banks for getting this done. Like, the, you got to confront the craziness of this administration because I would have never heard about something this insane. No. Yeah. No, totally not. So, this made it into the program document, uh, which means that Smug didn't get all the way oh, to the no. program. Uh, <laughs> How an unqualified sex worker allegedly infiltrated a top Air Force base lab. This is according to Yahoo News. <laughs> this episode is not a family-friendly episode at all. No, it never has been, but you're the one that kind of pretends like it is. A senior research scientist working on an advanced propulsion technology for the United States Air Force duped a contractor into hiring an unqualified sex worker he had paid using government charge card because he thought she was, quote, really hot. <laughs> Man, the government has way too much money. <laughs> way too much money. Dude, there are government charge cards? This is wild. So, yeah, right. So a search warrant uh, application obtained by the Daily Beast accuses Dr. James Gord, a highly decorated civilian Air Force employee. Okay, I think the, I think it explains the story right there. Gord? Dr. James Gord had to have sex workers. I mean, come on. <laughs> 
the guys, it's like, it's got to be tough for James Gord. It's Dr. Like, James Gord. It's a hard life for a pimp. Uh, installing the 32-year-old sex worker in, on a highly technical research project, even though she did not have a college degree or any expertise in the field. Um, here's the next. The woman did not fully understand how to use uh, basic word processing software. It struggled to formulate coherent inter-office emails. The warrant states. I, want, I wish we could see those emails. If they're like incoherent sex worker emails at like a propulsion lab. This guy is like, how'd the engine test go? I want to know what that reply looked like. From <laughs> this is like a sitcom episode. She's like, it was long and big. And- <laughs> And Dr. James Gord's like, great job, honey. (laughs) Outstanding work. In 2019, Gord tapped the woman to co-chair a scientific panel. Denny, though. For (laughs) unsuspecting photonics researchers designing a turbine engine, detonation engines, and scramjets and rockets. That is unreal. So that is like insanely technical stuff. Dude, the funniest part about that is like, can you imagine what these guys, they must have been, because these are not the most socially adjusted people to yeah, begin I with. Yeah, I mean, that's that's literal rocket science. <laughs> so he's like brought his, uh, a sex worker under the premise that she's a rocket scientist. She, not just incredible. And not just on the panel, co-chair. <laughs> imagine the confidence. Dude, that's got to own, like, you have, like, a staff meeting, and then, like, you've got the co-chair up there. He's like, well. And it's like, dude, I did, like, a PhD at MIT and other yes. sex workers. Told me. <laughs> the guy's like, you've all raised important points here today. I'm going to need to retreat with my co-chair and discuss this in private. <laughs> Gord highly encouraged the company to hire her, speaking highly of her technical expertise, the warrant explained. (laughs) He then finished by stating she's also really hot. (laughs) They hired her the following month on Gord's recommendation. That's fucking amazing. Dude, imagine the recommendation letter. He's like, she's really hot. They're like, hired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got the rocket nerds. They're like, "Mm, like, we could do worse than that, I guess. Right up until the point where she starts telling him about propulsion. (laughs) She had a very different concept of propulsion than they were accustomed to. We got to see those emails. I want to see those emails. (laughs) Listen, I think we got to get to this other interview. Uh, This is Zach Nunn uh, running in Iowa against Cindy Axney. He's got to win. We got to win this race. He's a great guy. I want to welcome to the program uh, a really interesting guy. I can't wait to, to talk to him here and get to know him a little bit better. You've already been in here for two minutes, and you've given us just gifts, and I mean, this is starting out well. It's, it's Zach Nunn, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? It's a privilege to be on the variety program, as it were. So, yes. yes. <laughs> good, this is going to be the good Heartland episode, I can already tell. It is. It is. And you are Iowa through and through, my man. Uh, sixth generation, you know, cheering sheep. I got, I got the scars from the detasseling. It's like, that's how you know you've been in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. G- give me a, like, how do we detassel? How do we how do we go? So yeah, the the, the crazy part of the detasseling piece is it, it's a way to round up a bunch of ten year olds and put them on a school bus, ship them out, and then send them into cornfields and hope they come out on the other side. And <laughs> you're, you're you're bending over um, corn stalks and you're you're pulling off the the top of them as you go through here, but. Uh, yeah, it's actually a great experience. It's it's about a million degrees, yeah. and uh, you can't see the other side of the field, and uh, bugs everywhere, and all of your friends are somewhere in the same cornfield, and all you can do is just hear their screams. So you know, it's like, all right. You just got to work right, your just, way just, to the other exactly, end. Exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. That's great. So you're running for Congress. 
Yes, sir. Yeah, it's Iowa three. So this is a chance to win back all of Iowa. Iowa is one of these, you know, it's a traditionally purple state. And uh, that's what I love about our community. Uh, you've got Republicans, Democrats, independents, all very pragmatic, you know, farm type family right. people who are saying we just want solutions. Um, but this third district is new. It uh, was uh, designed by an independent commission in Iowa. So we have arguably one of the fairest redistricting processes in the world. Uh, I think even the economist said that. So salute that's amazing. To, salute to our UK brothers there. Um, Generally speaking, independent commissions are not so independent. So that's this, exactly is, right. this is something this is, else. Yeah, yeah. Half, half Democrats, half Republicans. And uh, then the, the state legislature gets to vote on it. Um, in this district, it is... Uh, a district that has a you know kind of a reflection of the United States. It's Des Moines, which is the largest city in Iowa. Uh, just about half the population is there around the immediate area, and then a lot of rural Main Street communities. And we're not talking small towns. We're talking these are Main Street, the the Wintersets of the world, the Atumwas of the world, uh, Red Oaks, where Senator Joni Ernst is from. Yeah. It's a kind of place where not only do you walk around the town square, but you send your kids to school here, you grow up here, you go to 4-H here, uh, and you, you come back there for Thanksgiving. So these are thriving little communities, um, but they're spread out across southern Iowa. And uh, within that area, we have seen Donald Trump has won it. Democrats ha have won it at the local level. And uh, it's been a battleground state, totally. uh, particularly this district. It's gone although, back and forth. Although I feel like we're heading in the right direction, don't you? I, I do. I do. Uh, you know, I'm a military guy, so four months on the battlefield, that's a, that's a long time. <laughs> that's an Air Force deployment, if you will. <laughs> right. Uh, four months in politics can be forever. And yeah. we're not taking anything for granted here. Um, governor Terry Branstead, Ambassador Branstead, longest serving governor in U.S. history, Always says, run like you're 10 points down, uh, yeah. and then hopefully on election day you cross the finish line. Yeah, well, it's good advice. And you've had a lot of good leadership on the Republican side in Iowa over the years. I mean, it is, at this point, I mean, we went out there last year to the state fair. Man, we're just, it was so interesting to see the development of a bench in Iowa over the last six, eight years, where you've got talented folks like yourself ready, waiting, and, and willing to go and serve. And it, that's, I mean, that's the best way to success in this game. I think the Republican Party has worked really hard at this, but it's also just a reflection of, yeah, that Midwest community, right? Uh, we've got a lot of military guys who are serving. You've got Senator Joni Ernst, first yeah. combat female veteran in Cong or in the U.S. Senate. Um, we've got Ashley Hinson up to the north, Miller Meeks to our east, and Randy Feenstra in the west. So we've got a good delegation. The challenge is these are also, I mean, they're pragmatic uh, leaders who have voted on issues both sides. And then we've got this one Democrat who votes 100% of the time with Nancy Pelosi yeah. and goes completely West Coast on us. And this is Cindy Axney we're talking about here. That's right, yeah. So she's been in there twice. Um, she's never won by more than 50%. It's a, one of these uh, districts that I think she won her first time by 49%, her second time by 48%, 6,000 votes. I got more votes in my state Senate race <laughs> ahead of her in the same district than she won an overall congressional race by. Well, that's a good sign. It, it's encouraging, right? Yeah. yeah. So we, we are looking forward to fighting hard. Most importantly, though, we're, we're doing this because we feel very strongly that our community deserves a voice in this. All 21 counties, not just the one county that she's won, but all 21 deserve a voice in Washington, D.C. And most importantly, I think what we've done well in Iowa has been to listen to people Cut taxes, put money in Iowans' pockets, they spend it in their community. You know, support the police, don't defund the police. Get kids back in school, we were the first state to do it. Uh, seems this seems simple. to work, right? Seems pretty simple, right? Let's, let's take what works in the Midwest to the, the D.C. Beltway. No See kidding, no kidding. Well, you got your work cut out for you on that, but let's let's start at the beginning here. You're an Air Force guy. 
Yes, sir. So, uh, started off in the um, uh, indentured servitude of Chuck Grassley, like everybody in Iowa, I think, at one point. Uh, working in the back office, opening letters. Love Chuck. And then uh, went on to serve in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, joined up in 2003, post 9-11. Um, 9-11 happened, you know, it, as I was in school. Um, saw the towers come down and immediately felt like we had a compelling yeah. uh, desire to follow, like my grandfather's before me. And um, my father in the Air Force. So we, we joined up, uh, became part of an airborne recon squadron. Um, it's uh, basically if you've seen Top Gun, yeah, you, you know how the music starts and you've got these cool fighter pilots. The Air Force recon program is exactly the same, except take out the fighter jet and put in a giant school bus flying <laughs> in the sky and, uh, and play the entire Top Gun soundtrack I was just in slow-mo. Say, can you still get Kenny Loggins? <laughs> I know, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the key. We, we would play it every time we would take off. I went to the danger zone, taking you just off. You exactly. flip like seven switches Switch. and then throw Loggins <laughs> exactly, on and right. you're right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're school there. bus exactly. or nothing. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. So, I mean, you were in Afghanistan and Iraq, right? Yeah, we did multiple tours in both. Um, and, you know, as a, as a young lieutenant getting to fly, a uh, huge opportunity. But we were on the back with a, a group of enlisted guys. And these guys had what we call cans on their head, headphones. And they're interpreting real-time Pashtu, Farsi, Tijak. And they're trying to put it all together. Jeez. And our job was to be able to geolocate who the command and control nodes were. The guys talking on the radios, on what we call a push-to-talk, trying to identify who's vectoring fire in. I mean, it was one of our first missions out. We were supporting a special operations team. They came under immense fire in the Punjab Valley. About 2,000 Talibans came out of the hill, uh, firing down on these guys, and we were the only aircraft in the area. And God bless these young men and women Americans in the back of this aircraft at 20,000 feet, trying to identify who were the strike notes, who were the guys calling in uh, the firing commands on the Jeez. Afghan side. And it, it pains me to say, but as an Air Force guy, we had to call in the Navy for strikes. And so we had some, <laughs> some F-18s show up. And, but we stayed on mission for, I mean, going on 20 hours, wow. three air refuelings. Mm. And we were the only thing providing basically a canopy of uh, freedom for these guys trapped in the valley. And uh, we were able to take them out. Experience. It, it was intense. It was yeah. very intense. And you hear the guys on the ground. We heard our Afghan interpreter screaming out, danger, close fire. We heard the JTAC, who's the, you know, the guy who's helping vector things in. But there were also innocent Afghanis in the area, too. So not everybody who's talking on a radio, I mean, it's, it's their version of the party line. Everybody's on these things is a bad guy. So you've got to figure out who's the, the kid with a bunch of goats hurting. And wow. then who's the mullah out there who's directing people to lay down fire on Americans? Jeez. The complexity um, of war, yeah. man. That is just unbelievable. Good news is every American made it home that night. And um, we were able to, you know, get back into the area and uh, help all those people the following week. So it... It was a great mission. I wish they were all that good. No kidding. Right. No kidding. How long were you in theater? Uh, so let's see here. Uh, of my four years, I was officially um, stationed in the United Kingdom. So I uh, started night class there, and I did three years basically back and forth between Afghanistan, Iraq. Uh, we would base out of uh, Al Udeed Air Base in Qatar for the long hauls for the aircraft. And then continued my career on. Um, Left active duty, switched over to the reserves, joined the intelligence community for a decade, uh, spent time, you know, in China doing counterintelligence, worked the Russia desk. Um, this is a guy yeah. we need in Congress, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, boy, that's quite yeah. a resume right yeah. there. That's yeah. incredible. Well, so uh, out of all of that, I got to imagine that shapes your perspective in a pretty serious way. And we ask everybody who comes in here uh, who served in our arms, armed forces and is now running for Congress, was the Afghan situation was the pullout the biden 
absolute catastrophe sort of instrumental in your decision to run? Pivotal. Pivotal. I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, so flash forward from that, that scene we just had in, in 2005 in Afghanistan to basically a year ago next month, the fall of Afghanistan and leave behind the disaster of Bagram Air Base and the billions of dollars thrown over. There were Americans and there were our interpreters mm-hmm. who were left behind. The flag came down and they had no way to get to the airport. And so uh, a colleague of mine, Jesse Jensen, who's actually running now uh, out west, and a number of veterans got together and formed this group called Task Force Argo. That night, um, we were trying to get people through Abbey Gate and sadly 13 americans died hmm. men and women marines uh navy corpsmen one of them from my district in, in red oak hmm. gave his life because no one in the administration came up with an evacuation plan that would work Oof. and yeah. so we um talked to some folks uh, who were trapped there and we shuttled them um this is after the u.s had pulled out we shuttled them um north to maza sharif which was one of the last free airports left in afghanistan we worked with a group called Cam Air, which is the Afghan National Airlines. They had not been subsumed into the Taliban yet. And raised money across America to be able to fly out 2,500-plus Americans and um, Afghan nationals who had served with us who had been approved to come to the United States but had been abandoned in Kabul yes. when the U.S. pulled out. And so we had literally U.S. citizens that had no escape route out of Afghanistan. You were there only that We break. were flying out as volunteers. It yeah. wasn't even I – mean, we were calling State Department and saying, I remember being on the desk with the NMC, the National Military Command Center, and trying to get State Department to help validate this. And they're like, "You can't fly out of the country. We aren't. We're not giving you clearance over Iran. There's no way out." <laughs> like, well, thanks, friend. Yeah, planes in the air. We're we're gonna land at Al Udeed. Yeah, we we're gonna I, figure I, it I literally out. Have, yeah, exactly. We we've literally got the the uh, control tower on the phone. The, these aircraft are landing. We vetted them all before they got on the aircraft. When they were met there, they were met by, God bless the Department of Defense. They were there. They were vetting them. They were checking them. Uh, no one who was not supposed to be on the aircraft was. And I'm very happy to say, you know, the interpreter who did nine combat tours with us is a U.S. citizen. He lives in my community now. His is brother, that right? We got him out. He fought wow. with the Americans. Yeah, he and his kids there. And they're that's some awesome. of the best Americans you're ever going to meet. That wow. is just an awesome story. They need. So I think, you know, number one is obviously congressional investigations we still haven't had on, you know, this whole withdrawal. But then I think, you know, the number one thing I'd want to see after that is some mo- a movie, some a movie about this the kind people, of thing. Right. Who yeah. went back in to get interpreters out. Yeah. You know, America You want to say to the out. State Department that you're on the horn with, like, I wouldn't be here if you did your job, folks. Absolutely right. And individually, I will say this is a great reflection. There are some truly patriotic Americans in our U.S. government on our veteran side. But this is a dark chapter for America. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we, we had the opportunity to move forward with honor. Uh, and we yeah. chose dishonor. A hundred percent. Couldn't couldn't be more well said. So this happens. Obviously, it shapes your perspective quite a bit. And you decide it's your time to run for Congress. Yes, sir. Um, I assume you consult with your family and your kids <laughs> and everybody else about what that means, right? Yeah. No. So, like, my wife and I, we knew each other in high school. Uh, we met on the gridiron out there on a Friday night. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Were you, you were playing football? I, I was in the marching band. So, <laughs> it, it, all I'm saying is we were on the football field on, on a Friday night, night on the gridiron. I so set you up yeah, on that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So we, we, I was in the marching band. She was far more attractive than me. Uh, and so I decided, you know, I'm just going to I'm gonna ask this lady out. Nice, blonde, beautiful woman. Um, it just took me 16 years to get the courage. And you, by then, you finally yeah, shot yeah, the shot? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, hey, let's do this. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. And she said, yeah, she was a single mom. So she had two great little kids, and uh, I was still stationed in D.C. working in the intelligence community. Uh, brought her out to live in D.C., and immediately was like, 
Yeah, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely not where you want to raise two kids. We're going back. We're, we're going back to our hometown. So we moved back to our hometown, and we've been there ever since. We love it. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you, you always had a little bit of a taste for politics, as evidenced by being Grassley's ma- yeah, mailroom, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh did you did you ever think you'd run for something, or is this is this like something you just felt compelled to do? Yeah, I think it was much more compelled to do. I was always like very impressed with guys like Chuck Grassley, but yeah. I you know you see the stamina that it takes to be out there and be on a staff, and um, I was much more of the military mindset. I want to go out there and accomplish things. I want to drive a mission. I want to see an objective. Politics seemed like the opposite of all that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, but it did foster us. You know, we ran our first race against the guy that owned, you know, the country club in town. It was a Democrat in a Democratic district. And that it was like, hey, Zach, you're kind of a dumbass. <laughs> what, what is going on? Why are you running? Did they nix you from the country club list? Yeah, is that I know. That? that was the hard part. It was like, hey, you're, you're a Republican and you were not allowed in the country club. It's, it's a tough, tough walk in life. Luckily, I had all my Detasseling scars. So yeah. I was like, I wasn't getting in anyway. Um, That's great. Yeah, but it was, we ended up running. We, we talked to independents. We talked to Republicans. We talked to my mother, who's the Democrat, and uh, my teachers who, who knew us. And we ended up winning that race by, you know, 14 percentage points. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of continued that trend. Um, but we also never gave up on, like, who we were, where our principles were. We didn't compromise on the things that were important to us. I remember being a freshman on the Ways and Means Committee, and they wanted us to raise the fuel tax. And I just gotten in there, and they spent a lot of money on us, uh, getting us in there being a Democrat. And I was like, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Luckily, the House Speaker was a, an Air Force guy at the time, so he gave me some grace on this. He was uh, like, I'm not voting for that. <laughs> like, Zach, you're going to vote for it. That's how this works. And I was like, yeah, it's not my district. That's not how I vote. He's like, That's good. Okay, well, hey, thanks for your time. You're off the Ways and Means Committee. <laughs> Is that right? You got oh, boot, booted immediately. Immedi- wow. uh, so within the first month, I was booted off Ways and Means. They passed... Uh, the tax hike, uh, you know, in retrospect, probably a bad move. Yeah. But um, and then the speaker came to me. He's like, "You were always honest with me. You were always transparent. I can't be mad at you." That's all you can. You're ask back for. on the committee, and he put me back on after that. So I, I, it's a salute, really, to him. Um, you know, being willing to say like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna recognize that people are gonna be from different parts, but we're gonna move forward as a team." Well, you're gonna have a lot of opportunity in Congress. Hey. Yeah. I mean, that's that. This is a, a common phrase, right? I mean, every day you're going to be faced with a tough decision. That's right. I'm pretty convinced, based on your uh, background, that you're going to be pretty solid in that regard. Though, here's what I like about it: we um, um, met with some of the other guys who and gals who are running. All have incredible backgrounds. There is not a person right now on the Republican side in this freshman class who I wouldn't be like, "This is a guy or a gal that I would jump in a foxhole with and fight the good fight with." Uh, they are sharp. A lot of them are military. As you've noted before, this is the first time we've had so many military members totally. running. They have diverse backgrounds. I mean, we have Air Force guys and Navy guys. <laughs> and we've got Marine women. And we've got people um, you know, of all faiths, all creeds, all ethnicities running. Um, but most importantly, I think what I like about having a military cadre who is willing to step up and run is that when you get in there, it's not just about winning on November 8th. Right. It's about governing on January 2023. And we have got to be able to say, there's the hill. Here's our mission. Let's go take the hill. Totally right. Absolutely. So let me ask you about a couple of the issues I'm sure you're facing. I mean, clearly inflation is is number one nationwide. I got to imagine in your district, people are feeling it badly. You know... We've got six kids now. We've got the two foster kids as well. And uh, what I always say is Tesla doesn't make a minivan. And that means <laughs> I'm filling up at the pump 100 bucks a week. And they've got to get to daycare. They've got to get to school. The challenge here is is that, like a lot of working families, there is no relief in sight. And yeah. so 
God bless that the gas came down a penny, but that's not what is going to make sure that I get to uh, you know take my kids out for pizza or no we're kidding. having ramen again. No kidding. Um, these these are the things that are impacting families across Iowa. It pulls my district upwards of you know forty percent. Um, but the challenge is, you turn on the news and all we hear about is climate change. Uh, yeah. Like, hey. I can't get in a, a, an electric tractor or I'm not going to charge my F-150 for eight hours in the middle of winter so that I can do harvest time or take care of, take care of hogs. So you don't think Joe Biden's thoughtful articulation of this guy's <laughs> working in Iowa? I, I don't know. I, he, he, came, he came out, he's like, yeah, ethanol works. We'll give you a three-month extension for one year. I was like... <laughs> Jeez. Thank you, Mr. President. That covers about 1% of what we need. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing how out of touch these guys are, right? And I, I really think that on some level, they're happy to see this happen. I mean, they won't say that publicly. No, I agree. On their version of, yeah, yeah, Pod Save America, they're secretly talking about before the mic comes on. He's like, this is the way we make America green. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, look, we've said for forever, when your policy as articulated in your campaign is to shut down fossil fuels right. in America, and right. basically just negate our production whatsoever and that's what they told us yeah what the hell do they think was going to happen now, well you're absolutely right and it's not even fossil fuels it's say hey if you do not follow a green new deal that is basically batteries only i mean iowa my district has more wind power than any other district in america right now huh. we we have really bought into this we are doing biofuels we are doing you know renewable energy we've got a, a giant solar aspect but it's not an it's got to be an all-of-the-above solution here. And this is where I say, 19 months ago, America was energy independent. I have flown enough missions over the Persian Gulf, and I have seen the giant traffic jam of fuel tankers being lined up that the U.S. military is providing protection to so that we can get a fraction of that while the rest of the world gets it at taxpayer costs being shipped to China and, and all over Southeast Asia. Totally. We can do this here domestically, cleaner, better, quicker, and it's going to grow a lot of our economies from everywhere from, you know, the shale lands in North and South Dakota to the cornfields of Iowa. It's exactly right. We, you know, we talked to a guy in Alberta, Canada, who was telling us about, you know, they had the whole Keystone Pipeline all set up and they right. shut that down on, on day one. And he's like, you know, the craziest part about this, and I think about this because of the reception that you all get with ethanol in Iowa from these guys, is the reception of talking to an American or American-aligned interest in providing energy is like nothing, right? They're just like, forget it, we're not interested. Yes. And then you see this guy roll over to Saudi Arabia, bended knee, bumping fists. Bumping fists. Right? Yep. I mean, as somebody who's over there, yep. like, I mean, this they may not have our best interests at heart. <laughs> right, right. But the one thing the Saudis do have is an EPA. <laughs> Everything. So it's regulated. Every, I'm sure. I'm sure it's all clean oil. Oh, right? clean. Exactly. It's like, yeah. No question. It has to be yeah, right. Exactly. Almost as good as Russian oil. I mean, <laughs> that is filled with the tears of like, yeah, yeah exactly. The Siberian prisoners. You, you know it's quality. So have you have you sent an invitation uh, to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on behalf of City X <laughs> to come explain all this? So you? we we ran a resolution on the floor of the Iowa Senate. I uh, you know it it, it didn't um, in Tice acts need to come back and spend some time with us. But it did say, let's have a candid conversation about what would work. And we laid out a number of recommendations on this. First amongst them was an all of the above solution has to start first. Uh, second is that we can't tax ourselves out through you know the increase on fuel out of being able to do the things that are most important. You want to talk about a supply chain issue. I can literally watch the corn grow across the field. But if I'm not able to afford it by going to the grocery store because of the costs that are come from harvesting, from being able to drive it to granary, from being able to ship it all over the country. We are a net producer of food and 
with the tragedy that's going on in Ukraine right now, we're going to be a net provider to the world, hopefully. This is yeah. one of the great things America does. Right. We literally will feed the world, but if we can't even get it to a port to ship out anywhere, it will rot in the bin. Yeah. It will rot on the ship, and it will be a destabilizing force the world over. So let's so. talk some smack about acne. acne about <laughs> it. So I, it, obviously she's just like lockstep with the Biden administration on everything. Right. I mean, I think she breaks on certain things. She like, for example, she said all Iowans are Christian crazies who hide behind the cross or whatever. <laughs> I have not heard Biden say that yet. Now, now maybe, maybe he, she can convince him. I don't know. Um, it's a thoughtful nuance. It's, it's a thoughtful nuance. Yeah. It's a thoughtful nuance. I mean, she's made forty um, stock act violations while she sits on the financial oversight committee. That's an amazing thing. Ma- making some money on the side. Everybody loves a hustle. Oh, listen, I, Speaker Pelosi's got a side hustle. I, you I, might as well. Exactly. Her and her. Husband, they can Follow share the some notes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Better keep him out of a car at two a.m. Though I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, listen, I think you got a hell of a good chance, and the good people of Iowa have been trending in our direction. You got a, the toughest district here, but it is, you know, I mean, we went to that state fair. We had the time of our lives. I mean, if you're going to the state fair and you're just surrounding yourself, which I imagine you will. We have 21 county fairs. So you think the state fair is great. You, you get out to Ringgold County State Fair, and uh, it's fantastic. I was just there last weekend. They literally, the kids all dress up their cow as their favorite costume. So we had the bovine bumblebee. Was the winner. <laughs> nice. The kids were dressed as flowers, and there was their cow with wings and a stinger on the tail. I was like, those are some brave kids. Yeah. If you got to pick something at the state fair to do and eat, what do you think that is? Oh, my God. Well, first, everything. Yeah, yeah, you, um, yeah, you got to. I, I mean, I we I, tried everything. Right, you got yeah, yeah, exactly. to pace yourself. That's the most difficult part. You were a mess. <laughs> I was a mess. <laughs> it's just too much, too much food. <laughs> I had a pork chop. I had some pork chop. I had some like hot, like habanero it was sauce all of on your it. Face. I know mm, it was disgusting. Well, what can you do? It no. was good though. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but that butter cow is something else too. But, yeah, I mean, what what can you not make out of butter? That's actually should be the question. That's, I've talked to my concrete guys. So, like, hey. so Governor Reynolds actually brought us uh, butter-infused pork, fried pork sandwiches. Oh, yeah. It's just the best thing I've ever had. Yeah. She's amazing. She's amazing, yeah. right? Exactly. This I, is... I was like, we export a lot of great things from Iowa. I was like, Governor, I never want to export you to the White House. Yeah. Can, you, can you just stay here and lead our state to greatness? Yeah, seriously. She did a nice job for the State of the Union response. Though. She did. She did. she was firing on all cylinders. But it's also, it's, it's a powerful story to be able to tell. She's worked well with people across the aisle. Uh, she's worked well with parents, with yeah, educators. You guys have gotten a lot done. Largest tax cut in Iowa's history. Three times in the last, you know, six years, we have never gone over budget. We got kids back into school. We took the uh, mask mandate off and made it optional. Um, we've supported law enforcement. We had the strongest back the blue bill uh, go forward on this. We've supported um, everything when I was chair of judiciary, uh, fighting human trafficking. We were the first ones to set up like, and we're not a border state, but we set up a, a national um, op center with state troopers in Iowa to be able to facilitate that. I, we're doing... We're doing the new Gingrich model. Do the 70% of things that all Americans agree on and yeah. do it well. Yeah, that's a great yeah. model to have. Yeah. So if you're going to pick a committee, I assume it's armed services, right? I mean, is that number one? You know, I want to be able to serve my district. So I'm ag gonna, too. I think ag is a big area for yeah. us. Um, it's probably one of the most important things we can do. But also people forget Iowa. It's the insurance capital of America. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I suppose. You, you don't even think about it. But everything from you know crop insurance yeah. to, I mean, corporate insurance, home insurance. Des Moines is a great place for it, and 
short of derechos, uh, it's it's fairly earthquake-proof. So. There is some weather. There is some weather. There is some weather. <laughs> There's nine that. months of winter. That, that, <laughs> you know from Minnesota, that can have a dampening effect. <laughs> it, could, it definitely has a dampening effect. Uh, listen, we love it. I got three questions for you. Yes, sir. First, I want to commit. Next time we go out to Iowa, you got you to gotta be with us because that's going to be a blast. Done. Uh, first question. Yes, sir. Your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, we have highlighted it, but I would eat my way through the state fair. Yeah. I mean, I, one, I can extend myself for like 10 days of life <laughs> just by the amount of food I have to consume. And two, yeah. the executioner gets off free because by the end of it, I will be dead. <laughs> so it's, it's really a two for win there. I'm, I'm going to go with everything at the state fair. That's as good Done. an answer as we've Done. had. That's solid. Yeah. All right. So. Let's do this. Usually this, this question is, if you never got into public service, you know, what would you do with your life? Let's take the last 20 years and just go sky blue. If, if you hadn't had service in the military, you hadn't sort of been in government at all, no politics, blue sky, you can do anything in the world that you want to do, what would it be? You know, I would have asked my wife out a lot sooner. That would be the first goal. And um, you'd just be a stay-at-home d- dad. Just be a stay-at-home dad. I love our kids. We got six great kids. Um, I love what uh, service has gotten to do. So it still would have been something with service. And the military afforded me a lot of hardships, but it also let me see the entire world. Yeah. And I learned a lot from that. It was probably the best way to uh, help focus my perspective so something that allows me the opportunity to be with my family see the world i do whatever it is teach for america uh you know go build trenches in, in africa uh come back home and anything but detasseling yeah. <laughs> i think that was, i'm glad i made a break there I'm i really glad, made I'm an glad, impact yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah i only had to do it a couple of times with my uh, but yeah exactly i was like yeah all right this is, he knows what he doesn't want to yep, do that's yep. for sure all right so last question um we have a thrill of, of victory, agony of defeat question. Where our view is that everybody's motivated by the one one of two of those poles, right? Yeah, yeah. And the thrill of victory people are the consummate optimist charging up the hill, trying to get to the next thing. The agony of defeat person is like every victory that they've ever had, they enjoy for like one second. Yeah. But every defeat that they've ever had, they wear it like a backpack, vowing <laughs> never to repeat it, right? And that's what motivates them. So given those two polls, Zach Nunn, where do you find yourself? It's a great question. Um, so I'm always going to be the, the victory guy, right? Uh, I think it, it only pays to be an eternal optimist. You fight like hell to make it that way. And when it doesn't work out, then you try and find the next one. Now, this is saying it as a guy who has not been elected to Congress. Yeah. So, <laughs> you could be I, Congress. I, 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 I mean, I, I turn around on you guys, seriously. Now that you, you've seen this from the D.C. perspective, I mean, what is it that motivates you? How do you guys see this? Well, I'm an agony of defeat guy. All around. I am. You, you, you've got to have that. Ne- every accomplishment, fight, every accomplishment I've ever had, it's like, not good enough. this is fine. Yeah. And then yeah. every setback, it doesn't even matter how small. It can't be like a big, deep, <laughs> it can be like even a small one. It's just like a slight that I carry around forever. Yeah. And that's kind of what motivates me. I don't know. Duncan, you, you're definitely an agony of defeat guy. I'm definitely an agony of defeat guy. But you can turn it into a positive, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, what, it makes you work harder every day because you have something nagging in the back of your head that it's a chip on the shoulder. Maybe it's sort of a Midwest thing. It's like you're, you know, maybe people are expecting you to fail. Yeah. And you just can't let that be true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you'll have some of that when you get out here. 
Ashbrook, you're an agony guy. It, yeah, it, there's I'm, never been a definition of an agony guy more than this guy. 100% <laughs> agony of defeat. And, it's, and there's no bright side on that either. <laughs> it's just agony. I just, I just want more agony. I need, it. I need it. He's the kind of guy that makes something up bad just to motivate him. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. This will get me out of bed in the morning. Hammer. Boom. On the hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, fair. Uh, fair. Listen, this is one of the most impre- important races that we have in America. And I'm not saying that because you're sitting here. It just is. If we're going to get to where we need to go, not in terms of majority, but also in terms of doing something right. with it, we got to win this race. So I'm going to give the, the punchline here, right? I mean, every four years, people are looking at Iowa. We're praised by that. I like to think a lot of these guys who've been showing up for us and supporting us are here because of me. It's <laughs> probably not. It's the state fair. And maybe they want to be president. Charming as they Char- are. Charming as they are. <laughs> exactly. And we're glad to have them. More importantly, if we're going to win back a majority in Congress this January, we... We have to win seats like this. You have to totally. be able to knock off a number of incumbents to be able to have a majority that is not just a majority, but is a functional, governable form of government. You know, Section 1 of the Constitution places the responsibility on Congress to be the lead, the president, the Supreme Court, in a supporting role, but the House specifically. If we want a House that is a majority, it means being able to turn seats like this that are in the realm of the possible. Polling came out, and uh, you know, it shows us at 43-43. We're excited about that. So I've seen. So this is the absolute latest, right? Post poll. row, post. Uh, you know, the this Dobbs is hot decision. breaking news right. that we've got here. And and Iowa CD three, it's forty three forty three, and the most amazing part of that is you still got some work to do on your name ID. Yeah, I mean we're, we're state senator. I like every state senator. You think everybody knows you? I knock on my neighbor's door. They're like, "Hey, thanks for thanks for bringing over the paper. Who are you? <laughs> ah, I'm your neighbor. I happen to be your state senator. I've knocked on your door six other times. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's a it's it's a good problem to have at this stage in the game. You know, you got a lot of room to grow. I, and I think that that's the right yeah. the right thing here. It, she's got a ceiling where she's never going to be more popular than where she is right now. Right. Um, we have yeah 19 points where and we haven't even been on air. She's been on air for six weeks here. You know, it's it's a privilege to uh, win your three-way primary by 70, roughly, percent, and then immediately have Cook, Sabato, and 538 all say it's now a lean Republican district, but it's 538, mm-hmm. so I, I immediately dis- discredit it. It's probably wrong. All yeah. of it. You <laughs> probably take probably it. all wrong. <laughs> anyway, assault. exactly. Right. But then it's another thing to say, hey, when we start talking with folks who are already in our district... It, it's motivating to them to know that we're running. Um, I think the best thing we got out of that poll was some guy who didn't even notice. He's like, I've heard Zach Nunn speak, and I'm a Democrat, but he's like the old school Reagan Republican. He'll talk to everybody. He'll listen to everybody, and he doesn't try and bullshit you. Dude, that's um, about as high praise as you can I, get. I, yeah. I, I'll take that as my epitaph. In your, in your district, if a Democrat's saying that, that is a hell of a hell of a high I'm praise. I'm privileged by that. Right. That's awesome. So before you go, what's the booze that you brought us here? Hey, this is a this is, and I know this is a, a bourbon broadcast well no we're kind of in all of the above a little uh, vodka sampler here from an iowa uh distillery called revelton this is in my district uh it's just south of us so when you are from the state fair it's about an hour south we got um my favorite here is the honey flavored whiskey that Uh. comes with it uh, so whiskey vodka. Are you gonna onesie that thing? I'm gonna, yes, I'm gonna, down, I'm gonna down, down. Hey, I, I gotta take a flight later, so we are just gonna like can't, can't take it in the carry on. Yeah, you may want to you want to give us that on loan so uh, you can take it back. Yeah, with absolutely. You. We'll, we'll we'll leave it for you here. But this is a this is a great story of a distillery uh, in the district that had been a winery it was gonna shut down. Um, it was gonna close down the area, and a couple of Iowans decided that they were going to learn how to become distillers. They could have gone anywhere. 
and they came to Iowa, opened this thing up, saved not only the winery, but ended up just growing and it's now become a real targeted place throughout the state, has brought um, a lot of great press to the community. Most importantly, they're just really good people. Yeah. Um, they're, they're your heart and soul uh, Iowans, and they hired a lot of people who had been put out of work when the factories closed. So there mm. are a number of folks who would have had no other opportunity in that community but to leave, and now they get to stay there and uh, distill whiskey. That's not, easy not to go. Not a bad second yeah, line. Right. That should be my choice. If I could do anything, I would distill whiskey. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like an easy one to go to bat for. We will we will drink it all and order more. Good call. Good call. Uh, and, and it's worth noting that you get you brought a glass for us to drink it with that is Abraham Lincoln riding on a T-Rex with a M16 and a knife in his hand. That is <laughs> That is freedom, my friend. That is that freedom. freedom. I, I don't. This is a treasured glass. Yeah, I had two. I had two to be able to. Smug needed one, but yeah. uh, my my uh, six year old daughter was like, I want that one. So <laughs> I, I got her this uh, snow globe, uh, and uh, she chose the T Rex with the M sixteen. So I we're training it. Second Amendments right from birth. <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaurs, guns, freedom. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. What is not done, to love? Done. Zach Nunn. What? Where can we find you? Where? Where uh, can yeah. we help you out, guys? Please. Thank you very much. It's not just about winning in Iowa. This is really about winning back a majority. It starts with races like this. Check us out at ZachNunn.com. It's Z-A-C-H-N-U-N-N.com. Um, Nun for Congress. And uh, follow us, yeah, on, on Twitter and Facebook. We would be very humbled. Perfect. Zach Nunn, thanks for joining us. Team, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ruthless. Again, quality, quality, quality human being. Great candidate. Iowa through and through. I don't see how a guy like that loses this election unless we don't put our back he, into it guy's got an incredible resume you know he's totally. just sort of ticked through in it all and it's like yeah iraq afghanistan worked the russia desk and also like you know i'm running for congress it, now it, it's just too much to get through in a single interview really and he also the, every one of these guys that has a resume we got this with cal the other day they sort of downplay it right right they're like oh yeah you know i did uh, afghanistan and iraq and you know all that other stuff but uh anyway you know the economy's <laughs> right. like, no 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 stop like right. what you're talking about qualifies you more than anything you can say on here right and this is a guy who just uniquely understands public service he's been doing a lot of good work in the state senate there and gotten stuff done which tells me like that's the great unanswered question about some candidates is like you know they're good candidates you know they can get elected when they get here can they do the job Zach Nunn is a perfect example of a guy who know can do the job. Yeah. And we've had some incredible guests lately. Like you just mentioned, Cal, we got so much feedback on like people who are like, this guy sounds like a all-star. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So anyway, we're going to do everything we can to help these guys. Listen, I think we did it. I have to say so myself. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners, especially to the many minions who helped out on Foldy's campaign. Thank you to Foldy for running. You know, being the man in the arena is a tough job. He took it on at 25. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.